If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, never give up with Brad Gilmore. By me going out there and finding it and being proactive, I was bringing attention to the town and making the town look as if it was crime-ridden. This is not what we do. I was mediocre at best. How can somebody tell Brad Gilmore, you can't learn today? Are you going to succumb to somebody telling you you can't learn? Hey, you're doing something a little bit better than bare minimum. And I, and I noticed it. I want to be able to work in a job where I can bust my ass and get compensated for it. Welcome to the 108 Podcast. My name is 108, and you have just tuned in to episode 217 of the 108 Podcast. Today's guest is none other than the Trap King himself, Brad Gilmore of Street Cop Training. Guys, we have an amazing episode about to bestow upon you today. Brad absolutely blew me out of the water with with our conversation. I cannot wait to share it with you. We've got some surprises planned and everything, but first you get to hear me talk for a few minutes. So I hope you are ready for that because when Brad and I sat down, I had one idea in mind about what we were going to talk about. And Brad went, nope, we're going to talk about something totally different and much better than what I was anticipating. Now, whoever doesn't know who Brad is, Brad Gilmore is an instructor with Street Cop Training who... As everyone knows, I am very close with Street Cop Training. is very near and dear to my heart. Dennis Benino is a mentor to me. Uh, beyond just police work, he's he's just a, a great guy. He is the godfather of uh, not only soul and rock and roll, but of policing. And actually, he's like the uncle. But anyway, Brad Gilmore was one of his first instructors that came under uh, Dennis's wing. He teaches deceptive behaviors in hidden compartments. He is the master of finding traps and not not just traps in the gym because the man is built like a freaking uh, Greek god, but also traps within cars which haul narcotics across state lines and yada, yada, yada. So I thought we were going to talk that. I thought we were going to talk uh, proactive policing. I thought we were going to talk about the same stuff I've talked about with all my different guests of the same um, 
mindset. And then Brad went, nope, we are going to talk about growth mindset and we are going to talk about a winner's mentality. And I was so fucking for it because a couple of reasons why. Obviously, we all know that January has been a mental health month. We've been talking about that. And I started it when we were talking to Chris Matakis. That was where we started. That's how it, this all started. And I had such a great conversation with Chris. We, you know, I put in some Jordan Peterson, some Chris Williamson into that episode to just kind of get your gears going. And that, you know, when I listen to podcasts, that's what I tailor towards. That's what I like to listen to. If I'm not listening to like Time Suck with Dan Cummings, great podcast, by the way, go check it out. Or Hey My Man podcast, another great podcast, go check it out. I don't really listen to police podcasts uh, as much as I respect the Street Cop podcast and as much as I respect Poorly Made, I don't really listen to them. One, because I'm not on the job anymore. And two, it, it just, you know, that's that's my life, you know? That's, that's 40 hours a week, if not more, plus whenever I do stuff for the page. So I don't need more of that. I want I want to grow as a person. So I listen to, and I've mentioned these before, but I listen to The Order of Man with Ryan Mickler. I listen to Modern Wisdom with uh, Chris Williamson and then similar podcasts that come and go. I may not listen to them consistently. Uh, Real AF with Andy Frisella, which by the way, I got my 75 hard book finally, which we can probably talk about at the end of the episode. But anyway, so this is what I'm about. This is what I enjoy listening to. This is what I enjoy learning about and talking about and achieving for. If If I posted a picture of my bookshelf, you will see that there's very many books like that, either philosophy or or things like that. I, I always want to be better. Always want to be better. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about as we intro into my conversation with Brad. I've been very lucky in my life. And by what I say that is nothing has come easy for me at all. I've talked about this before, but I don't mind sharing it again. We'll take it back to freshman year in high school where my dad, who was the sole provider for my household, got sick. And and let's just kind of put some context in this. He was a sole provider for a household and he had already retired some eight years before that. But he went back to work because that's just who my dad was. He loved working and he also needed to provide. He needed to provide for myself, my mother, and and the rest of our family. So he did and he got sick. He, he had a, uh, a very massive stroke and it should have put him on his back, but it did. Well, figuratively, it should have. Uh, literally, it did for some time, and then he recovered, and he went right back to work because that's just who he was. He he needed he had that drive to work, and then ultimately he had more strokes, which rendered him more paralyzed, and then he he was truly out of work. So when I graduated high school, amidst all that, I went to college in Connecticut. I went to the University of Hartford, which is a private university, cost at the time probably like $42,000 a year. And I was a filmmaking major. And I I know, crazy, right? But when I was leaving high school, I was the writer, director, producer of the school's TV station. And that was, although I wanted to be a filmmaker, I also really wanted to be involved in uh, production, you know, uh, uh, TV production. So there was a TV produce, uh, production studio on campus. There was a TV station and it was my goal to be what I graduated at my high school. I wanted to be that guy in that TV station and I didn't want to wait for it. So I did whatever I had to do to get to that point. So what did that include? It included uh, taking 
numerous assignments, busting my ass. And this was all while maintaining a very good GPA. So I grinded and I grinded and I grinded and I don't have enough time to explain how much went on. But when my spring semester started, they gave me a chance to act as the news director, which was uh, the head of the news department, the reporters, the anchors and things like that for a week. And I did. And that was very stressful. I got calls in the middle of the night about different things that were going on. I know it sounds a lot like a police officer, right? But I handled that stress. So as the spring semester came to a close, they were holding director boards, um, elections. So that way there was going to be a new full-time news director for the the next year, my spring semester. And I did, I put in for it and I went up against a, a girl that was a year uh, senior to me. And ultimately I got the position and I beat her out and she was very popular. Uh, but people thought that I would do a better job and I did too, you know? So the summer passed, I came back early that year to get things ready and I was ready to take over and I was very excited where things were going to go. Unfortunately, because of financial reasons and everything, I had to leave. I didn't get to serve my full term as news director. Actually, I never went back to that school except for a few performances in my band. And I left. The girl that beat me ended up taking my spot. She then became a news anchor for some TV station in Connecticut. And now she's like a, a, a blogger, a sports blogger. It's, it's really great. Reconnected with her on Instagram. So, but still I worked that hard. And then when I got kicked out of school because I couldn't afford it, it was so important to me to go back to school that I busted my ass and I got so many small jobs. I worked for a um, temp agency. I literally worked around the clock several days trying to make money to go back to school, but it just, it was impossible. There was no way that I could make up the difference between student loans, student grants, and what I owed. It was impossible, but I tried. I did. I worked several jobs. I worked, you know, like I said, back-to-back shifts. I slept in my car. It was, it was, it was tough, but ultimately I couldn't get back. So as a way of, I guess a little bit of escapism or whatever, I went back to New Jersey, rejoined my band. Now, just to give you guys some context, when I was in Connecticut, I saw the band The Academy Is. And The Academy Is was a big band at the time, a very entertaining stage show, and that inspired me to do that. So at the same time, I was wanting to be a filmmaker, I wanted to be in TV production, and I was living the rock star life. All this, oh, and being a college student. And then, you know, three of those things went away, now I just had the band, so I decided to dedicate all my time into that. And I wanted to be where The Academy Is was. <laughs> I wanted to be where the Academy is was. Okay. So I called every single producer and show promoter and whatever to try to get my band gigs. And eventually we got our first gig at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, New Jersey. We performed. Now that's the same venue where Bruce Springsteen got his start. And that was very important to me. My buddy, his dad was a big Bruce Springsteen fan and it was very important to us. I also got us a gig at this place called the Croc Rock Cafe, which was a big venue in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I first saw my first rock concert, which was Real Big Fish. So a lot of connections, and it was very important for me to play there. We got that, and we just grinded and grinded and grinded. I mean, we played every single weekend, it seemed, um, from the January I went up there onwards. Like, we just kept going, and my, my family got pissed because they were like, dude, when are you coming home back to Florida? And I was like... Whenever this train stops, which it wasn't stopping, we were just going full boat. We were we were crushing it, and that hard work got us to be um, 
we got to open for Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, Big D and the Kids Table. Um, they ended up getting booked with Bowling for Soup. They did a tour with Bowling for Soup. They got to play with MXPX. All these big bands. I didn't get to play with all those because eventually I had to go back to Florida. But the point is, I saw something I wanted, and I did not stop until we got there. And we did. And we won uh, several Battle of the Bands. We won um, lots of money. We, we did. We It was great. It was a great run. And then I can apply that to the police academy. I could apply that to the positions I wanted in the police department. Um, My point is, when I saw something, I went out and got it. And I didn't stop until I got it. And that is still, to this day, how I feel. It's a little harder now. You know, I'm, I'm in my 30s. There's some other things that come in my way. And the goalposts have changed. Luckily, with the Instagram and the podcast... I still have that creative outlet. And I think that's why as pissed off as this stuff gets me sometimes is probably not going to be going away anytime soon because I keep hitting new benchmarks. Um, even if, you know, past couple of weeks, maybe, you know, the listenership may have dot, dipped down a little bit. I'm still thinking of new ways to engage you guys. And it's exciting and, you know, getting people to respond to me and getting new ideas. And I, I've got all these ideas. Like I said, I have 75 hard next to me. I've got all these books and, and people I listen to, and it's, it's great. It really is. And I don't stop. Okay, that's enough about me. What about you? What do you want in your life? Now, as I said, as you get older, things change a little bit. You know, it's not that you want to be part of a club. Maybe it is, but I doubt it. Uh, you know, maybe you want to own a house. Maybe you want to stop renting the house you live in. Maybe you, you want your own car or you want to buy a car. That's another example. I was working in a call center job and at the time I didn't have my own car. I lived with my sister and I was working a shitty job that I did not like. And there was someone that worked with me that said, oh, well, you know, a real man owns his own car, owns his own house and has a career, not a job. And I took that personal. I, I took offense to that. Fuck people. One thing you have to learn early in life. I didn't learn this till later on. I don't give a motherfuck. You can't care what anybody thinks about you. And I don't. I really don't care. But I use that as fuel. And I'm going to post up in just a minute about motivation. And how if someone pisses you off, you use that fire for motivation. You tell me I can't. Okay, well, now I'm going to show you exactly that I can. And that's what I did. I had an ex-girlfriend once who, when she broke up with me, said that, man, you know, you're, you're a lot of work and I don't have the patience to deal with this. I was like, you don't have the, you, you don't have the fucking patience? You, you don't have the patience for me? No, fuck that. And I went and I made something of myself. I have no idea what she did with her life. I know The last I know, she was doing drugs, shaved her head like Britney Spears style, and that's all I know about. I really have no idea and not to sound like an evil fuck, but if someone called me up and said, you know, she, you know, she's not doing well. She's homeless on the streets. I would be like, I don't give a fuck. I'm unnervingly polite, but I'm also capably violent. Every damn person who said I wouldn't be anything, I'm crushing them every day. Everybody I had to endure every day into a powder and I wish them no ill. I just wish to shine brighter, and if it burns my body to a crisp, I'm happy to go right now. You know, all these people waiting at the bottom of the pool, and they grab up at your feet and pull you down. Whenever you stick your head out of water, they just love to pull you down. But if you get down and sink with them, 
then it's cool sailing, you know what I mean? So I really hope that I'm able to motivate you guys. I've been through trials and tribulations, and I'm just giving you small snippets here and there. And hopefully that's left enough for you to go, yeah, you know, if this guy can do it. I mean, I... I I one day want to tell people my story, my different stories, and how I am repeatedly met with obstacle after obstacle, but I still overcome each obstacle. Now, I, I once had a analogy that I would go by that, you know, I didn't need to know the end of the story. I just wanted to know that I was on the right path to get to the proper destination. You know, I don't want to waste my time. And the... If I tell my story, you'll notice that every time there was a roadblock, I, I changed things around a little bit. But I, I don't like to think that I changed paths completely. I just sidestepped the wall. Because when your back's against the wall, you knock the goddamn thing down. That's what you do. I once had my niece, you know, I was, I was making um, a lot of vacation plans and I was traveling a lot. And my niece goes, wow, you know, you're so lucky. No, I, I don't believe in luck. <laughs> I make my own luck. Guys like you always think other people get lucky. I don't get lucky. I make my own luck. All right, so as we get ready to go into the conversation with Brad, I just want one last thing. I'm going to give you the formula to how to make your own luck, how to achieve what you want to achieve. And and I'm no Andy Frisella. I'm not, you know, one of these super jockos or whatever. So I have to lean on the tried and true method of achieving what you want. So we're going to treat your dreams as what you want, right? So for this formula, I am going to refer to the good book of one Mr. Rick Astley. So Rick goes ahead and we're going to focus on the chorus today, but Rick goes ahead and he says, He's never going to give you up. You, in this case, is his dream. He's never going to give it up. He's never going to let you down. By that, he's actually talking about himself. He's talking in the mirror. He's saying, I'm never going to give you up, pointing at his dreams. He's never going to let you down, talking about himself. He's never going to run around and desert you, meaning his dreams. He's talking about the dreams again. He's never going to make you cry. He's talking in the mirror. He's going back and forth. You got you to see? This is a conversation he's having. This is... This song is so deeper than people think. Rick is having an existential crisis here. He is looking at himself in the mirror. And he goes, I'm never going to give you up talking to the dreams. Never going to let you down talking to himself in the mirror. Never going to run around and desert you with the dreams. Then he's talking to himself, I'm never going to make you cry to the dreams. Never going to say goodbye. And then he's never going to lie and hurt you. He's talking to the both of them. He's not going to make excuses. Okay, so that's how I want you guys to take your life from here on out. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't let yourself down. Don't run around and desert your dreams. They are your dreams. Take care of them. Do something about them. Never, never make yourself cry. Never say goodbye to your dreams. There's no reason to compromise your happiness for someone else. What Goggins said, fuck other people. And then never lie to yourself. Never hurt yourself. Do what you want and be happy because I guarantee you, you being happy will make everyone else around you happy. Because that's all we really want. Now, we can be selfish and we can try to take away from other people's shine, but it's useless. As long as you focus on yourself, as long as you're happy with yourself, then that's all you need to do. And again, I don't think you guys are, you know, we're, we're all kind of adults here. So this might be your career. This might be your personal life. But don't give up on it. Don't give up on it, guys. Don't give up on it. We talk about Michael Jordan. 
right? He was cut by his high school basketball team, and that motivated him to be the best sports star probably in history. Definitely basketball. You have Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss is a award-winning uh, author, a podcaster. He is he's amazing, okay? He wrote the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. To date, has sold over 1.3 million copies around the world. But did you know that the first 25 publishers that he contacted about this book said no? And then that 26th publisher, the one that actually published the book, didn't do it because they liked the concept of the book, but they liked Tim himself. They knew that he would do whatever was possible to make the book sell. And sure enough, it did. 1.3 million copies around the world. And then you have Vincent Van Gogh. Everyone knows Van Gogh. Starry Night, Bedroom in Aries, Cafe Terrace at Night. World-renowned paintings seen all over the world. They've been spoofed and redone and everything. Did you know that during Van Gogh's life, he only sold one painting? That means his entire life, he thought he was a failed artist. Now look at it. And that's the infinite game, guys. The infinite game is to take your goals and have them outlive you. Obviously, we want to see success in this lifetime. Absolutely, everyone wants that. But you will never get close to it if you stop the pursuit of your dreams and your happiness. Guys, this episode with Brad is absolutely amazing and it should motivate you to not only be a great police officer, not only to be a great professional, but to be a great person. Whatever your goals are, whatever your ambitions are, I really hope you guys get it and I hope that my little rant here will help motivate you just a little bit. If not, here's a track of some other motivational people and uh, and then Mr. Brad Gilmore. Ladies and gentlemen, listen all the way through. I've got some special surprises and a special guest that I won't even tell you about. So guys, stay tuned and we will check it out. Be the hero of your own movie. If your life was a movie and it started now, forget about whatever financial disasters you've had, personal failures, relationship failures. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. We define ourselves far too often by our past failures. We look at our past and we say, well, that's me. That's not you. You are this person right now. You're the person who's learned from those failures. And you can choose to be the hero of your own movie right now. Write down your goals. Write down things you want to improve. Write down things you won't tolerate from yourself. Write down things that you've done in the past that you never want to see yourself do again. And go forth from here as the hero of your own movie. Build momentum. Build confidence and momentum with each good decision that you make from here on out. You can do it. Anyone can do it. We live in unique times. We live in one of the rarest times in human history where you can choose almost all the input that comes your way. Whether it's the movies that you watch, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, you can choose to be inspired. Do that. Do that. And be the hero of your own movie. I have a friend who works for Warner Records. We were t- talking about the Fleetwood Mac once, and he said to me, what's the best Fleetwood Mac album? And I said, well, it's Rumors. He said, yes, absolutely. And then he said, okay, what's, what number uh, record do you think Rumors is in the discography of Fleetwood Mac, right? And I said, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the band. So I said, I, let's say it's album number three. He said, wrong. It was album number 16. They're not some kind of overnight sensation. They are a band that was a decade in the making. Now that's a really critical fact because so often when we look at great and extraordinary successes, we have some kind of sense 
that they, they came fully flowered. They arrived on the scene and their greatness was already apparent, right? And all we had to do was to find some forum for that greatness to be expressed. We have a notion that so much of what makes someone good is something natural, something inherent in that person or that organization. But when you look at Fleetwood Mac, you realize that that was the furthest thing from the case. A lot of psychologists have actually attacked this question and have discovered something they call the 10,000 hours rule, which says that when we look at a wide variety of cognitively complex activities, we find a, a very consistent pattern. And that is it seems to be impossible to achieve any kind of true expertise unless you have practiced for 10,000 hours. And 10,000 hours, if you think about it, think of that as four hours a day, is 10 years. The 10-year rule shows up in almost everything that we look at. Get in the car, get to the gym, get there, and as I'm walking onto the court, who do I see? I see Kobe Bryant, already working out. So I worked out for a good hour, hour and a half. And when I came off, after I was done, I sat down, and of course I still hear the ball bouncing. I'm like, now I'm like, this guy's, this guy's still working out. So he was working out, for like, it looks like he was in a dead sweat when I got here. And he's still going. And it's not like his moves are nonchalant or <laughs> lazy. He's doing like game moves. I want to see how long this goes. I sit out there and watch for 25 minutes. And he got done. I said, okay, I think I've seen enough. That game, he drops 40 on us. Okay? And after the game is over, I'm like, I, I have to ask this guy. Like, I, I have to understand like why why he, he works like that. Right. So after the game is over, I'm like, hey, Kobe, like, why why were you in the gym for so long? He's like, because I saw you come in. And I, I wanted you to know that it doesn't matter how hard you work, that I'm willing to work harder than you. Wow. And he's like, it's, don't hold, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not saying I right. dislike you as a person. You just, you inspire me to be better. Right. And it was the first time I started to see this level of competitiveness where I said, I need to start doing more. I don't understand the concept of giving up because I also live in a world that I think other readers live in, which is, not being able to hear the outside affirmation or pushback. The reason I have tenacity and determination is I'm playing this game for me. I'm doing this for me. So I don't give up because I like it. I'm in it for the journey, not for the bonus. If you want to be a leader because you want to get the financial compensation that comes along with leadership, you're going to be bad. I'm just very comfortable saying that. If that's active, and by the way, those are important things. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is your game, you will struggle. You'll find in your life that sometimes your great ambitions will be momentarily stymied, thwarted, marginalized by those who were perhaps luckier to where an ease and confidence in life was almost a birthright, where for you it was a very hard climb. Some of the greatest Americans some of the greatest thinkers have come from very meager beginnings. Just because you come from nothing, you must not let that be something that holds you back. And you've, you've suffered. Your humility has been tried. Your patience has been tried. You got what you got, so you got to make the most of it. As you're climbing a mountain, if you're only happy when you get to the top, that's what, 99% of the time, and then there's another mountain to climb. Like you have to be able to take some moments of joy throughout. You need to allow yourself to enjoy that walk up the side of the mountain because it's just this is trite to say, but it's too much of a it's too much of a waste of time otherwise. No matter how motivated you are. Like yes, you did something that was absolutely incredible, but you were miserable. 
What point is there in that? If you work so hard that you hate it, what's the fucking point of getting there in any case? You don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Like, what are you doing every single day? Are you doing something that you genuinely enjoy? I think that process without goals can lead you to a place that you didn't mean to get to. The two need to exist together. Goals are great for motivation. That's why on the 1st of January, everyone's got a, a big kick up the arse. It's also good because it reminds you of the direction overall that you're going in. Like if you're running a marathon, you need to make sure that your running form is correct and that your posture's right, that your hydration, all of the different things. But if you're running in the wrong fucking direction, you do not get to win the marathon. There is a difference between direction and speed. Direction is more important than speed. If you are going in the right direction, even at one mile an hour, every single day you're making progress. You can go as fast as you want, but if you're going in the opposite direction, you're making life harder for you, not easier. Overall, I think that most people believe that goals will bring them complete fulfillment, and that's wrong. Also, those people don't focus enough on the process. You need to have both existing together. Motivation has kind of got a bad rap. I don't know whether it's the internet and sort of people posting motivational quotes on Instagram and bodybuilding motivation videos on YouTube and stuff like that. If I listen to something that gets me fired up, I'm gonna use that fuel. It's like you trying to build a really big fire and chopping down wood every single day. Chopping it down, carry it to the fire, chop it down, carry it to the fire. And then one day out of nowhere, a fucking tree falls on the fire. And you're like, oh, I better not use that tree. I better not use that free fuel that I've just got out of nowhere. No, obviously not. Get a hold of it. If somebody comes in and pisses you off and the next day you wake up and you're fired up, you're not gonna say, I'm not gonna use this motivation. I better wait until I calm down. It's like, no, fucking take a hold of that. And the same thing goes for if it's the 1st of January and you go, do you know what it is? I got like November and December last year, they wrecked me. Like they owned my life. I'm going to get back at it. And you spend a little bit of time alone with thoughts or you do whatever it is that you need to do and you wake up on January 1st, fired up and ready to go. Like, yeah, get after it. Yes, it will wane. Of course it's going to wane. Motivation doesn't last forever. I think the concern that people had around motivation was that they were going to forget about discipline. They were going to believe that they could YouTube motivation quote themselves to having constant discipline, which wasn't going to happen. If you have the opportunity to get that nitrous boost, man, take it. Consistency is even rarer than talent or enthusiasm. Lots of people find that they pick up a new sport or a new pursuit and they have a talent for it. They have a natural knack for whatever it is that they're doing. And other people also, when they start something new, find that they're enthusiastic about it. It's quite common. You know, it's basically every January 1st in the gym rock up and everyone's keen to do something they've got these new new year's resolutions they're all enthusiastic and some of those people will be talented but how many of those people end up being consistent long term how many of those people do that thing over and over and over again every few days or every every week or years and years and years almost no one because it's not sexy and it's boring and you will lose talent your talent will only get you so far very quickly after you do anything you're going to be out of the pool of noobs and into the pool of other people who are as talented or maybe more talented than you are, who are as enthusiastic or maybe more enthusiastic than you are. And that's why consistency is the perfect competitive advantage because it's the best way to do what we were talking about earlier on, which is to leverage uh, shipping at a pace that allows you to know what works, you get to do a thing consistently, the market or your audience gives you feedback. You go, okay, well, I've got to get better at that. This has gone well, this has gone badly, we'll change it. And it's so rare that it's immediately going to separate you out from almost all of your competition. This statistic about podcasts that 90% don't make it past episode three, and of the 10% that do, 90% don't make it past episode 20. So by making 21 podcasts, you're in the top 1% of all podcasters ever. 
And that's purely based on consistency. Can you create 21 podcasts? Okay, there you go. Top percentile podcaster. Why? Well, it's because consistency is fucking well rare. That's why. soon found out that I had a problem. I had a gag reflex, uh, specifically to the, the overwhelming odor, odor of shit. And so anytime we had to deal with a lift assist or we had to deal with an elderly party that may have uh, defecated on themselves, they would go to the scene and ultimately call me. And so when, usually when I when I heard backup, hey, 154, can you respond to this location? We need, uh, we need assistance. I already had in the back of my mind what it could potentially be. But walking into the situation, Obviously, you're always on guard, and I get there, and before I would even enter the room, I could smell an overwhelming odor of shit. (laughs) So, I tried to bite my tongue in a lot of these scenarios, um, but ultimately, my gag reflex would get the best of me, and I'd end up throwing up on myself. Oh, wow. So, there's probably about four or five stories, uh, similar situations where they called me to the scene, and I ended up... Throwing up all over myself. Oh man, that's, actually, that's never good. First, the first time I changed my my newborn, my first son's diaper, threw up all over myself. So, that bad? Wow. Now four now four kids later, I'm used to it. But fortunately enough, I don't have to be a first responder and go to these calls anymore. But I was known for uh, for projectile vomiting to the to the to the, snow. To the, to the shit. shit. Man, so. that's crazy. I've had you know a lot of people they they've got a problem with throw up. That's that's like my thing. I can't deal with people throwing up. A lot of people, obviously, the dead body smell, but the smell of shit. I mean, I just kind of, you know, it's just like you know, you walk your dog, you get used to it or whatever. But it's just a mind game. It's just it's sure. in my head. Yeah. I could probably, I could probably shake it, but uh, it's it's in my head, knowing that it's somebody else's shit, and I start to think of things, and and then it just comes up. You start oh, to get yeah. spits. You know, the, the you whole... start to spit, you start to swallow, and you're like, oh, it's coming, it's uh-huh. coming. Yeah, yeah. When you, when you start getting that real flush feeling in your skin, and you're just like, yeah. oh boy, I know what's coming now. Yeah, I uh, I've had several moments. You know, before before I was a cop, um, I was not a fan of needles. Like I uh, I remember taking an ex girlfriend of mine to get her first tattoo. I was standing with her as she got the tattoo, and I was watching it. First time ever watching it, someone get a tattoo, and I started getting that feeling. I'm like, oh boy. Oh boy. And I had to sit down cause I was going to faint. Same thing with, um, I used to take my dad, get blood work, same thing. And watch to get jello legs. Yeah. Yeah. And then now I've got tattoos. It doesn't bother me anymore, but for a while it was, that was the feeling. And I always, 
I had a few pass out things over the past couple of years now, just unrelated. Now I'm always like, oh God, what's going to trigger the next one? It's, it's just right. crazy. So how'd you, uh, how'd you get over it? Just getting yourself an own tattoo? Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think I just, mind over matter. I think I just stopped yeah. thinking about it. And then, which is weird because I wasn't watching them, you know, get tattooed or give blood or anything in like, a, oh my God, that's terrifying. More of in like a curiosity thing, but I guess my mind flipped something i don't know but mind over matter that's an important point that we'll probably touch on later on yeah for sure and uh like working working the streets and and i worked crime scene for three four years gore never bothered me i mean i i was involved in some pretty gory stuff stepping in or over things touching things mm-hmm. that i don't want to think about never bothered me there's like maybe one or two times i was like oof, that's that's a little rough same i did is i did an internship with a uh, crime scene uh, CSI, and I got to see a ton of dead bodies. I would go do the autopsies, and uh, I've probably been to 15 to 20 different autopsies in my life, and it never bothered me. The, the smell, the odor of, of dead bodies never bothered me. Um, but in, in blood, I've seen bloody murder scenes and never bothered me, but shit and puke. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. Too much. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I just can't. I've had – so one day I was – we were working at a traffic homicide, and um, guy got hit by a, uh, he was on a scooter, you know, a little motorized moped scooter, got T-boned or whatever. And we're taking pictures of it. The medical examiner's there. They're doing their thing. And there's brain on the side of the vehicle. <laughs> Viewer discretion advice. And she's like, hey, does anyone still have gloves on? I was like, oh, yeah, I do. She goes, great. She puts the, the piece of brain in my hand. I was like, I, I, I didn't know that's what we were volunteering for. And that was that was a mind blowing situation, but I mean that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and those medical examiner people, they're they're into some weird stuff. Like they get all up yeah. and in on the bodies. I couldn't do that. That's way above. It's my- funny because if if you've been to, uh, you know, if you've been to uh, an autopsy, you know that it, it smells like bleach in there, right? Yeah. And so when you associate or you go and you see these dead bodies and they start cutting open the dead bodies and, and performing on their tests and they have to take a sample of the brain, right? And they have to mm-hmm. take a sample of the organs and they put in these little Petri dishes. Uh, I handled all of that. But for the longest time leaving there, I would go into my laundry room and I would smell bleach. And it would just or bring I'd, you or back. Or I'd go into a restaurant and you go into a bathroom and you smell bleach. And the moment I smelt it, it yeah, yeah you, it brings back that memory of, of the dead bodies. They say that um, smell is the biggest uh, trigger for memory. I memory. think something yeah. like that. So it's funny you say that because our medical examiner's van, they had a very distinct air freshener or, or they were a different, pref- there was a smell. I don't know, but it wasn't a, a, a bad smell, you know? And, uh, I remember walking in a restaurant or something and someone had that, that scent on them. And I was like, dead bodies. Like dead bodies. <laughs> so it, it's, it's crazy how the mind immediately triggered that memory. Yeah. Yep, instantly. So, uh, dead bodies aside, we're actually not going to be talking about dead bodies. This isn't a forensics episode, but, uh, welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Brad Gilmore of street cop training. What's going on, sir? How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. It's about time, right? Yeah, I know, I know. We've been trying to for months. Yes, but But finally... you're a popular guy and this is a popular <laughs> show, so. Well, I, I appreciate your patience. It's just, you know, scheduling and, and, you know, this whole full-time job thing, it gets in the way sometimes. It gets in the way, yeah. yeah. It gets away to fun stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, so for everyone that doesn't know you or, or may not know you completely, can you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Brad Gilmore. I'm currently an instructor with Street Cop Training, and I teach deceptive behaviors in hidden compartments. 
Uh, I was asked by Dennis to teach for the company about five or six years ago now. Um, he, Dennis and the company is originated uh, in New Jersey. I also work in New Jersey. Um, I was a local law enforcement officer, uh, a patrolman for eight years. Um, that's how I started my career. And then ultimately my successes as a local cop uh, in stumbling upon some pretty reputable seizures, uh, specifically drug and money seizures uh, in hidden compartments, ultimately opened up some doors. And now I work in a criminal interdiction unit uh, with the Narcotic Task Force in New Jersey. Uh, and that's my full-time job. And then teaching for Street Cop as an instructor is, is a part-time gig that I probably teach about 20 to 24 classes per year, nice. about two a month. Okay. That's really cool. Um, so you work, you work on this task force full time. I do. So I, I work on a team of uh, five of us, uh, and we, uh, patrol the interstates throughout New Jersey. Okay. So it's statewide. That was going to be my second question. Uh, we're, we're at the County level. Okay. Um, so we tend to work, uh, the area of the George Washington bridge, uh, where we have interstate 80, interstate 95, uh, State Highway 17, State Highway 46, Route 4, uh, a bunch of different highways kind of intersecting that particular area. Yeah, that's a big um, hub right then, there. Yeah, and right on the other side of the George Washington Bridge, you have Washington Heights, uh, New York, which is, you know, uh, kind of the mecca for hidden compartments and, and drugs. Okay, very cool. So before you got in the um, on the task force and you found your niche, you were just a regular old street cop, just, just humping calls and doing all that. That's it. I was the front line of defense. I like to, I like to think of local law enforcement in, in America as, as the front line of defense. You were the, the first ones in, the last ones out. Uh, and unfortunately, we have a lot of, we wear a lot of different hats. I, I worked in a, a tiny town. There was only 28 guys. We worked eight hour shifts, four on, two off. There was about 18 to 20,000 residents. Um, it was quiet. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot of crime. They used to say uh, when I was going through field training, and I was asking my field training officer, what can I expect in my course of my 25 years here? What can I get excited about? You know, mm -hmm. And he said, well, kid, we have about 20,000 service calls a year. We have statistically speaking, we have five hot calls. You know, so as an wow. overeager young yeah. guy fresh out of the academy, you know, when you're when you go through these six months of training and they train you for the worst. Right. You're prepared now for the worst. Right. And you get out yeah. in the field and you're like, all right, what am I going to expect? What is the worst? And they tell you that there really is no worse. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to see much here, kid. If you're excited for A, B, C, and D, yeah, this might not be the spot for you. You know. And so I soon realized that I couldn't take a backseat approach. I couldn't sit there and be reactive. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of towns in New Jersey. You have Newark and Trenton and Patterson, and you know Kearney and, and Perth Amboy and all these cities, these inner cities in New Jersey that are call after call after call after call because it's rampant with crime. I didn't work in one of these cities, right? So I knew that if I wanted to stay busy, I knew that if I wanted to chase the adrenaline rush, I'd have to go out there and find it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found myself going to a lot of training on my own time. The agency wasn't very supportive at the time for sending guys to go on training. I specifically fell in love with doing drug work uh, there was a couple guys in the area. Uh, name was T.J. Cullen. He worked a couple towns over, but he was uh, he was a role model. He was always in the paper. He was always in the news. Uh, he was always hitting big time drug loads and hidden compartments. And I and I grew a liking to that. And I, I said to myself, I want to be able to do that. How do I do that? And uh, I just went to a lot of training. I went to see guys like T.J. Cullen and Mike Connor and Mike Lewis. 
Um, and uh, I've been to, you know, the desert snow classes and I've been to every training that ever came to my area because I knew that I was going to walk away with something. And then November 1st of 2013, I ended up hitting my first hitting compartment with a kilo of Coke and it snowballed from there. Um, I found myself stumbling upon some massive loads, some massive, massive money, money jobs and, and drug jobs. And, uh, and I was always expecting a pat on the back, um, as we all are, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, selfishly, we, we do this job because, uh, you know, we do this job because we want to make a difference, but also we do this job when we, when we do stumble upon something nice, uh, whether it be, you know, um, a, a, a pedophile where we stumble upon a, a wanted person for homicide, whatever the case may be. And we, and we find something and we make the arrest. We expect our bosses to appreciate it. Just something. That yeah. Was, mm-hmm. That was not the place that I worked. Yeah. It was not. And, and I don't, th- and I don't blame anybody. I don't blame anybody there. I just think that the dynamic was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I think at the time the people that were uh, in power and running the department were also born and raised in that particular town. Mm-hmm. And I feel like by me going out there and finding it and being proactive, I was bringing attention to the town and making mm-hmm. the town look as if it was crime ridden. Right. Right. In all reality, it wasn't, it wasn't these people that were living in town. It was people that were passing through. Mm-hmm. And so I was bringing this publicity and this attention that I think that they really just did not want, you know? Yeah. And, and I, again, I, I'm not blaming them. It's just, it, it, they just had a different, a different priority, a different focus. And so unfortunately I had a lot of obstacles. Every time I went out and did it, uh, it was kind of like, Hey, listen, this is not what we do. All right. So we'll let this one slide, but this is not what we do. But when that's in your blood and that's what you want to do and you found your niche, how do you continue to do that without getting in trouble? Sure, sure. I um, No, there's so much stuff that you said that I just want to pick apart real quick. Um, I have this guy. He works kind of like Northwest Florida, not exactly the panhandle, but but up for me. And uh, he started following my page before he was in the academy, just super into law enforcement, wanted to do it. He knew what he wanted. Got hired by one place, didn't pan out. Um, so he went to another place. Now he's working in this super tiny place, just like you described. And he told me that um, earlier this week, same story that, hey, they're not going to put me through trainings. They don't support proactive work, blah, blah, blah. And so by you saying that, uh, that really resonated with me because this, you know, I told the kid, you know, keep keep going. But at the end of the day, if you're not happy there, you got to make a decision. But you got to do what's going to make you happy. And I think a lot of people generally speaking, not just law enforcement, but they say, you know, I want to do this. And a lot of people don't do anything possible to do that. You know, they're, they're just going to go, Oh, well they denied this. So I'm not going to do it. Or I can't get the day off. So I'm not going to do it. And I think of things, not even law enforcement related that I knew I wanted to do when I was younger, when I was in college, like, for example, um, there was a TV station that I wanted that my college had. And I really wanted to be a part of it. I really wanted to, to run the, the news department. And as a freshman, I busted my ass to, you know, take every news story I could, whatever requirements I had to do. And by the end of my freshman year, <clears throat> I was elected to the, the um, news director position, like the, you know, one of the highest positions. So take that to your law enforcement career. You know, just like you said, you wanted to be the interdiction guy. You wanted to be the guy to arrest people out of cars for one, one reason or another. And that's what you did. You put yourself through the training, you, you made sacrifices, things like that. I feel like that part of your story is so important for people to hear because especially nowadays, you know, law, 
law enforcement budgets have been cut. Um, training budgets have been cut, which just doesn't make sense to me. Um, people aren't, people as an administration aren't willing to send people out for trainings. Yeah. But it's the kind of, that's the point. If you want to do it, if you want to get things done, you have to do it yourself. I remember the first time I took Dennis's class, um, it was in Georgia and I told my department, I said, Hey, will you guys cover this? Will you, will you cover it? No, we will not. Okay. Then I was like, all right, if I, Oh, I said, because it was in a different state, I said, I will cover all travel expenses. Will you pay for the tuition? No, we will not. Okay. So here's what, so what I ended up doing was I took my vacation for those days and I went up and I paid for everything myself. I was like, screw it. I want to do it. And I did it. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, eventually uh, street cop obviously has become more and more well-known and the department starts signing on, signing off on things. Actually, the the time you were going to come down to my agency, I reached out to my training department and I was like, Hey, uh, I know you guys get free training for or tr- free seats for hosting the training. Can I ha- get a seat? And they said, no. And really? I was, yeah, they were like, no, we're going to send the training guys to it. I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, they're sitting behind desks. What are they doing? But different story for here and there. You know, what's ironic about this whole training thing is that I wasn't a school guy. I was, I was mediocre at best. I was uh-huh. a C student. I hated, I hated doing homework. Yep. I could not concentrate you know, and, and then you go to college and I was a class clown. I spent $200,000 for what? $200,000 to party, right? Yeah. And then you graduate and then you can get into the real world. And then, then you become wise. You become much more wise. And then you're hustling and grinding and trying to find a job. And, and then you're realizing, man, school wasn't that bad, you know? But the funny part, the ironic part is, is all my life, I didn't want to be in school. And then I get hired and then I'm trying to learn. And then I have another person telling me, Brad Gilmore, you cannot learn today. Yep, yep. And you know, as ironic as it is, because I never wanted to learn in my life, right? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't my choice. I had to be in elementary school. I had to be in middle school. I had to be in high school. I had to go to college. So it was almost like, uh, you know, because I had to, I didn't want to, right? Yep. And now I, I, I started thinking about that concept. Of how can somebody tell Brad Gilmore, you can't learn today? Right. You know, Especially- learning should be free. You should be able to go to a class or pick up a book or, or not free, but nobody should be able to restrict you. I mean, that's a benefit. Learning yeah. is a benefit. Especially in this profession where all they say to you through the academy is, oh, you never stop learning in this job. Okay. I'm literally saying I want to learn this and you're telling me, no, I can't. It's, it's insane. It's so ironic. And, and you know what? So you can look at that. You can put the request in through your agency and you can, you can ask to go to certain classes. And if, if they say no, are you going to succumb to somebody telling you you can't learn? And I, I wasn't going to allow that to happen. So I yeah. just spent out of my own pocket. I spent my own vacation days. You know, yeah, fortunately yeah. enough at the time, as I'm going through this process and this curve, I didn't have any kids. I was I was only uh, I was only engaged. And so my, my fiance at the time understood that I could, you know, I was going to burn a lot of vacation time to train because I she knew where I wanted to go. She right. was a driven person. She had a good job. She had her master's degree. And she knew for me to get successful in this business. I had to go and learn and educate and teach myself. And so uh, that's what I did. I burned a lot of my own time, a lot of my own money. And uh, and looking back, I mean, think about it. I mean, my, my, my career would not be where it is right now had I not done that, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we just have to pull the trigger. And, yeah. and, you know, it sucks paying for our own money when we think about this agency is supposed to be paying. This agency should be paying. You know what? Are we going to sit there and wait for the for – the, uh, for the chief to change or the administration to change for the next three years 
to wait and put our career on hold. No, right, right. you just got to pull the trigger and you got to go. Yeah, I agree. And then the other thing that got me with, with your story, when you're saying like waiting for that pat on the back, there were so many times I made a good stop or I made a good arrest or, you know, just good work, you know, good, honest, this is police work kind of, kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I was the exact same way. I'm like, all right, when, when do I get the attaboy? And I had a Sergeant who his mentality was you get an attaboy every week in your paycheck. That's that's your attaboy. Stop stop <laughs> looking for a handout. And I'm like, it's not it's not a handout. It's not like a participation trophy. It's like, hey, you're doing something a little bit better than bare minimum. And I and I notice it. That's it. And that's that as, was- as, as Tom Rizzo says, see something, say something. Right? Somebody does a good job. It, it, just say something to them. Right. Recognize it. Yep. I We're not asking for an award. We're just, hey, that was a good that was a good traffic stop. Hey, that was a good arrest. You know? That's true leadership. Right. Because if if all I have to look forward to at the end of the day is the exact same as the guy that's not leaving the parking lot for 12 hours, why am I going out there and doing a little bit, you know, a lot a bit more, you know, except for my own personal gratification. But I mean, yeah, that's good. That'll that'll feel good for a little bit, but it's only gonna go so far. So one of my one of my best friends, uh, I worked with him, and uh, when I was going through this difficult time, and he was seeing how how I was stumbling upon some some successful and reputable seizures, and um, you know really doing stuff that the agency had never seen before. You know, we're just a small town, never saw kilos, never saw all these hidden compartments, and now on a consistent basis, I was pulling this in, and all these questions were being asked: How are you doing it? How are you finding it? You know, is somebody telling you what car to stop? How is this possible? And, uh, and, and lo and behold, it really just came down to the amount of training that I had. They didn't know that because I was going on my own dollar, my own time, and I wasn't telling them. Right. Um, but my, my partner was, was looking at how I was kind of getting yelled at for doing this and being proactive. Mm -hmm. And it really, it really put out his fire. You know, he was seeing this and he was like, you know, I've, I've come to realize how unfortunately this, this career, these, the people in this career we are the most complacent career, most complacent profession ever, yeah. right? We get hired and majority of us are like, it's a paycheck and we don't want to further yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And my partner at the time was saying, you know what, man? He goes, it just sucks. He goes, I want to be able to work in a job where I can bust my ass and get compensated for it. He goes, you're hustling so much. You're getting your, you're doing a great job. You're doing what law enforcement is supposed to be doing and you're getting yelled at. You're getting yelled at. And yet the person that's sitting down at the park doing absolutely nothing, you know, on barstool smoke shows on their phone, doing nothing, mm-hmm. you know, just listening to some podcasts and they're, and they're doing the bare minimum of just being reactive and responding to a call and they're not getting yelled at and they're getting paid the same amount as you for putting, you know, and he goes, yeah, I just can't yeah. understand this. And he ended up leaving law enforcement. He ended up leaving law enforcement. He only had nine years on the job and uh, he just couldn't understand that concept because he was such a driven and motivated person. He left law enforcement and now he's, He's uh, has a very, very successful position with a with a, a medical company. And, and he's, you know, as much as he misses this profession and career, he's like, dude, I get to hustle and I see the benefits of my paycheck. Yeah, I get to hustle and I get rewarded for that versus getting kicked in the dick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's ironic how it's the complete opposite in law enforcement. Yeah, it is. And especially, you know, you look at areas you were talking about where you work now that's an area very ridden with the possibility of crime where, you know, obviously you see it every day when you stop cars and what you get out of cars. And I know people that work in those areas 
that they get slapped in the dick when they try to do the exact same stuff you're doing. It's like, no, 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 we don't do that here. It's like, why not? Why, why don't you want me to stop criminals from either actively committing crimes or potentially committing crimes? Like that's, that's the whole, the whole point of law enforcement is crime prevention. Like, I think people forget that. And I, I talked about it a few weeks ago, you know, the, the Pelian principles of law enforcement. And the number one thing is the, the success of law enforcement is measured by how much crime we prevent, not the amount of people that we arrest. And you start thinking about like every kilo you seize, you know, how many lives does that save? Every gun you pull off the street, how many lives does that save? And it, I, I feel like people miss that. Everyone the problem is, is because that's immeasurable. How do you know? Yeah. How do we put that number out there? Right. And it's, I mean, it's so frustrating to, I mean, we're living through this. I mean, I think we're kind of at the, the waning end of the defund movement. I think people are starting to wake up a little bit, but yeah. for that little bit, you know, people saying, you know, um, anti-crime teams, whatever you want to call it in your, your uh, jurisdiction, they're bad. They're, you know, racist or they're, they're counterintuitive to what we're trying to do here. It's not safe. How, how can you even say that? Like, I don't, and I think we're finally seeing that because when you eradicate those types of units or, or police officers, murder rates go up and, and drug yep. crimes go up. It's, it's just frustrating. And when you're sitting in that seat, when you're the police officer and you are thirsty and hungry and you just want to go get bad guys because, hey, that's what you got hired to do. And your superiors are saying, no, stop doing that. Go in the park, go do your business check. Now, business checks have their place. I'm not saying they don't. I mean, you know, you don't want business broken into, but, you know, go do things that aren't what you're doing. How does that make you feel as a person? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it, it takes away from what we are as a whole, you know, Um, at certain points in my career, I felt like I was a glorified security guard. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, all I was doing was parking enforcement, you know, meter checks and school security checks, driving around the school a thousand times, you know, and I wasn't doing anything. And, and all those things are necessary, but I wasn't doing what I, I, I thought that this job was about. And I wasn't allowed to go out there and, and seek criminals and find criminals. And, and that's what I was really attracted to. And listen, it should be noted that there are great leaders out there. There are some great oh, departments sure. to work for. And I, and I work for it. I work for an agency now. It took me a long time to get to where I am now. And the agency I work for now, great leadership, great bosses, supportive. Um, you know, we're all like, like-minded individuals. It's great to actually work for an agency where there's like-minded individuals. And, and the agency that I was talking about where it wasn't so easy, that was a, compl- a, a brand new regime, brand new administration, super proactive, all the support from their guys, you know, everybody in that agency loves the chief now, loves the bosses. Um, they really did a complete 180 and, and uh, it, they deserve it. They deserve it because there's a great group of people there. So sometimes you, you hit depend on who takes over. You have these waves. Right. And the question is, are you willing to ride out that wave? You know, are you ever really able to make the prediction of who the next administration is going to be? And is that administration going to do a complete 180? And so if the answer is, uh, you know, I don't know, or or no, it's it's not going to do a 180. Then the, then the answer might be clear. You have two options: you either yeah. leave, or you stay there and you 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 close it up. You close up shop. You know you, you right. You put, get t- you get done working. Away. Yeah, you, you stop being stop thinking that you're going to change the game and 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 be proactive and change the world. And if you can deal with that, then stay. Otherwise, you have to bounce. You know, and unfortunately, 25 years is a long time. It is. It's a long time to be miserable. And you know, you talk about so many people in this job in that five to 10 year window 
I feel like that's when the burnout really starts hitting. And that's when people need to make that decision where, you know, do I stay or do I go? Because a lot of places, you know, you're going to get vested at seven to 10 years. So you got to make that decision. And yeah, I think you've got it exactly right that I talked to a a sheriff a couple uh, month or two ago, and he said, it's easy to be a sheriff and, and uh, take care of law enforcement because you're elected. You can do what you want to do down here. You know, sheriff is King sheriff gets elected. And they still patrol the streets. It's all great. But a police chief is appointed by a mayor. So it becomes Mm -hmm. much more of a political puppet. And you need to look at where you're working, I think. And if you are in an area where the political climate is anti-proactive policing, you know, you know, hug a thug or whatever you want to call it, that's where you need to look at. I mean, you may have chose that agency because it was where you grew up. It was, you know, somewhere that was close. It was the first person that or first agency that called. It could be any one of those things. Mm Yeah, but after a while, if you if it doesn't mesh with what you want to do with your life, what you're if it doesn't match your why, then you need to go find greener pastures. Yeah. And and you know what? It it also comes down to. They didn't want me being proactive. Right. But in my mind, I thought, you know what? They do like traffic stops. They do like numbers. They like issuing tickets. They Mm -hmm. do like parking tickets. They don't they do like. Um, arrests that um, that are made because of suspicious occupied vehicles in the center of town, right? Because that's ultimately where the mayor and chiefs and, and some of the administration lived. So they, yep. they it, it showed them that you were doing your job and protecting them, right? So they liked certain things. So I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to give them what they want. And they love DWIs. So I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to Try to lead the department in DWIs. I'm going to try to lead the department in traffic stops. I'm going to try to lead the department in parking summonses. I'm going to try to lead the department in identifying suspicious occupied vehicles and hopefully leading that leading to an arrest. And I did all of that. And when I crossed off all those boxes, I felt that it could buy myself some freedom to go out and do what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was sit on the highway and sit on the, the county roadways with where the traffic was a little bit more populated. And I could, I can make a big time arrest. And that's what I did. Um, and, and I, and I knew for me, I wanted to make sure that, you know, they, there wasn't going to be repercussions, Sure. but when you're doing everything by the books, when you're, when you're justified in all your actions and, and when you know case law, right. And, and you're, you're, you're an intelligent cop and you're also crossing off all these boxes, you know, they continue to yell at me and tell me that this is not what we're about. We don't like this, but at the end of the day, what are they going to do? You know? Um, and I'm not saying that you have to be, you have to go against the norm or you have to go against, you know, your policies, but I'm just saying that sometimes you have to learn how to give them what they want in order to buy yourself some freedom and some, some credibility and some freedom. Right. And that's ultimately what I did. Um, and, and, and at a certain point, some doors open, I got hired with the DEA in 2017. Shortly thereafter, this, this, my current agency called me up and offered, offered me a position. And it was a blessing in disguise because if I went if I went federal, I would have lost my pension. I would have lost time with the family at that point because I would have mm-hmm. had to go to the academy for six months. And it just it would have been a couple steps back. And I still would have been doing exactly what I wanted to do. I'm doing right now. I'm currently doing exactly what I wanted to do, which didn't exist back then. It didn't exist. It was just because of some really proactive people that decided to, to take this initiative and form this unit. And um, 
it's, I pinch myself every day. I honestly, I swear to God, I wake up every single day and I pinch myself because I'm living my dream come true right now. Mm -hmm. And you had that opportunity presented to you because you kept working, you kept grinding, you kept putting through the effort. Yeah. What happened? Did you apply or did someone call you up and be like, Hey Brad, we saw, we know what you're doing. We know what you're interested in. How did that actually work? How did those I got, I got a phone call one day and it was, uh, we need your resume and you in this office the, the, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Yeah. I sent over my resume. I was in the office at 8 a.m. the next day uh, and ultimately I got hired. So, so somewhere uh, it was, along it was the really line. Because, it was really because they wanted to create this unit um, and there was several people within the state that were kind of doing similar things and they put all forces together and and, and, and meshed us together. Put, and, put, the, and now, put together this Avengers team of uh, narcotics yeah, officers. Yeah. Honestly, I work with some of the best people. Um, you know, one, a lot of people might know TJ Cullen with Trap Find. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's my go-to guy. He's always been my go-to guy. He's taught me everything I've known. You know, also like you know, guys like Sheriff Mike Lewis with Comical County, Maryland, and, and Mike Connor just restart, retired from the Maryland State Police. These, are, these, were, these were my idols growing up, you know, in this game. I just... I looked at everything that they did and I said, I want to be that guy. I want to be him. I don't know ultimately where my career is going to lead me. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But the only thing that I can tell you is that um, it's in my nature. It's in my blood and my personality to continue to fight for law enforcement. And I know the struggles. I, I don't want to see all of us succumb to case law with tying our hands behind our backs or succumb to bad administration or succumb to to a reactive approach versus a proactive approach. And I just find that my calling is to continue to fight for us and do whatever is necessary to continue to inspire, motivate, and educate, but, you know, be the voice and, and hopefully whatever platform I can use to, I don't know, strengthen us, unify us, and, and continue to fight for us to make sure that we remain proactive. Uh, that's, that's my fight. That's in my blood. That'll, that'll be a forever thing for me. Yeah. Um, paid or not, that'll be a forever thing for me. And I mean, you, you obviously live and breathe that every day. I mean, that's, that's your bread and butter. And now, you know, that's, I'm very curious. I wish I had a crystal ball to just see where we're going to go in the next five years or so as, as a country, you know, cause it's a little bit scary because New Jersey, we just came out with a, they just got rid of mandatory minimums for drug crimes. Hmm. Um, so, you know, let's just say you get arrested for a first degree crime. We'll say a hundred kilos of heroin. Right. Um, they would sentence you for, let's say, 20 to 30 years. You would have to do a mandatory minimum. Right. So uh, uh, they might say um, 20 with a 15 or 20 with a 10, whatever. You'd have to serve the minimum amount of that sentence before you can be eligible for parole. They just got rid of all of that. And now if you get sentenced with 20 years, you only have to do one fifth. You have to serve one fifth of that sentence and then you're eligible for parole. And so now really the, the mandatory minimums in the state of New Jersey kind of a, it was our leverage to maybe get people to cooperate, maybe mm -hmm. get people to talk. Um, now that we don't have that, how do you get people to talk? How do you right, get people to right. cooperate? What, what are they, they scared of? You know, you know, what are you scared of? They're going to go, they're going to get sentenced to 20 years and they're going to, they're going to serve three or four years with good time and they're going to get out. Yeah. And there's gonna... no reason to talk to cops anymore. It's just, and then you, you have the DA in New York. Um, they were saying that they're gonna, they're trying to do away with all imprisonment for drug crimes. <laughs> Zero imprisonment for drug crimes. Ha. You get caught with 100 kilos of heroin and fentanyl, a, to a deadly chemical, toxic chemical that's killing our youth, are killing people, right? Poisonous. 
and there's no there's no imprisonment. Yeah. So so how do you deter that? How do you deter those crimes? Right. How do you deter right. those crimes? No. And then then you know I've talked about it before. Talk mm-hmm. about all the because everyone says that drug possession or drug addiction is a victimless crime, and I'm like, to who? I was like. You know, you think about all the people that get burglarized or vandalized or robbed for by a drug addict. You think of all the people that get murdered by a drug dealer. You think about all the different things that come along with drugs. Uh, and, of course, we're not even talking about the overdoses. You can put those in there, too. I don't get it. I don't I don't understand the mindset of yeah. of the these legislative people that just want to open us yeah. up. I mean, we saw it, what, uh, last year, two years ago with, with Oregon and, and Washington just getting decriminalizing all narcotics? Like, I mean, listen, it, their addiction is a true disease. Uh, we, can't, we can't arrest our way out of that. I do believe that uh, you know, rehabilitation and, and other types of opportunities should be offered, which is definitely what we're doing here in New Jersey. Um, we, we have some great programs to help rehabilitate. And, and we're understanding the concepts that you can't arrest your way out of this. These people need to be officer service, offer services. Uh, and we do a really good job at that. But we also do a really good job at focusing on the bigger picture, right? Yes, focusing exactly. on the drug traffickers coming through. So you, you kind of need to attack both angles, right? You can't arrest the user all the time. You have to be able to offer them some, some services, some rehab, some counseling, some therapy, whatever it takes to get them to stop rehabilitating, mm-hmm. stop using, to overcome this addiction. But we still have to attack the supply. Yeah, um, I, I worry. I worry how this country is going to, you know, overcome some of the struggles that we're dealing with now regarding case law and and the decriminalization of a lot of this stuff and the, the lack of imprisonment for drug related crimes in New York. I mean, how do we overcome some of these obstacles and continue to, you know, arrest and and try to stop the deadly flow of traffic, a uh, deadly flow of drugs traveling up and down our interstates? Right, right, and then. With those drugs, and and you are, I'm sure you know all about it. Comes the weapons, it comes the mm-hmm. money, and every every dime bag you come across is the, like the last piece in an international drug conspiracy. Yeah, you know it's all got to come from somewhere. Is it the cartel? Is it is it terrorists in the Middle East? Like, yeah. And I th- I think we all kind of forget that point. You know, we think like you know we're stopping the the drug dealer or the trafficker or whatever, but you know, the, the much bigger picture and, you know, people like you and, and the people you work with, obviously you guys understand that big picture. That's what you're trying to, to work on uh, attacking. But if it, it feels like the, the politicians and the legislative, just, they don't care about any of that. And it's, I wish I could sit them down and have like a real conversation. Like what, what are you thinking here? What are you thinking? Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, Dennis says it the best. He says, ignore the noise. And uh, as hard as it is to ignore the noise, because you have it all around you, you have it in your own agency, you might have it in your own home, you might have it on TV, it's everywhere. It's on the radio, it's everywhere. What I try to do is I try to wake up every day with a positive outlook uh, and, and focus on today. And, and I can't shut it off in my mind. Uh, from the moment I wake up, um, I'm a family man, but from the moment I wake up, I think about hitting the very next seizure that day at work, mm-hmm. hitting a trap loaded with money and drugs. That's just, it's in my blood. I love it. It's funny because we, we go on vacation or I'm, you know, I'm driving down to the shore house with the wife or we're on, uh, in a car ride for five, six hours going up to a mountain to go skiing. And, and I'm driving and I'm just sitting there like this mm-hmm. on the highway. 
And I'm looking and she's like, you're looking for traps, aren't you? And I was like, hell <laughs> yeah, I just, I do not know how to shut it off. I think yeah. the only time I can shut it off is if you put me on a beach in the Caribbean, uh-huh. Bora Bora, and I have nothing but a, a, a margarita in hand or a drink in hand. And I got nothing to worry about. I don't, and I don't have a highway near me. But if I'm on a highway or close to a highway, I do not know how to shut it off. I just, I love this job. Yeah, I, I feel like for the ones that truly get it, you know, it, it I, I get in this conversation with a lot of people about whether or not this job is a calling or not. Um, I think for sure it is. I, I just I feel like too many people see it as a death sentence too, like live or die by this job and whatever. But I think when when you really got it, when it's in your blood, you can't turn it off. It's just, you know, even even, you know, you obviously with the traps, that's that's your thing. That's where your eyes go. That's the magnet. Uh, but some people, you know, they just have the eye for the suspicious people walking downtown or, you know, mm-hmm. when we we get very good at seeing the anomaly because we are the public, right? The police are the public. The public are the police. So we're, we're all used to being normal people. When we start picking up what isn't normal, it, it just it st- stands out like a sore thumb. And yeah. I feel like for you, obviously, with all your training, that's that's a trap. Like, you know, we drive by cars all the time. It's no big deal. That's just a normal car. But you see it instantly. You know, you you can pick up what's what's not right. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I don't know how to I don't know how to change my oil. I don't even know how to change a tire. I know nothing about cars, but I know traps. I know where mm-hmm. the exhaust is supposed to sit. I know where the spare tire is supposed to be. And if you know those things, you can easily pick up on traps and uh and, it, you know, I, it didn't take me long to pick up on it. I studied a lot. And Google could be your best friend. You know, this could be your biggest resource and your biggest flaw. If you're going to use this for, you know, beneficial things at work, such as Google, such as, you know, reaching out and networking with somebody that could probably provide you some information as to what you have, um, best resource. But if you're going to sit there and, and scroll social media uh, and take your eyes off the roadway and, and be a distraction, it's going to hurt you. But you stop a car and you have a question about the undercarriage, you have a question about the exhaust, a question about the spare tire, you pull up Google, you type in a 2014 Acura MDX, where's the spare tire supposed to be? What's the trunk supposed to look like? Undercarriage. And it'll give you a picture of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. guys forget that, but could be a huge resource for you. Oh, yeah. Google is such an amazing resource for, you know, blanket mm-hmm. information. Yeah. We work 12-hour tours, eight-hour eight tours, whatever it might be. But how often – think of like your normal street cop, how much do you actually work, right? You, you go in and maybe an hour briefing, then you, you know, puts around for a little bit, you get an hour lunch, puts around a little bit more. But if you actually take those 12 hours and you actually do something with that time, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't, don't wait for the next radio call. You actually go out there and, you know, enforce the laws. Uh, I always tell like when I left my last agency, um, I was the most senior guy in my squad and I had a bunch of rookies just come out and they, they knew I was proactive. They knew I knew my stuff, you know, state law, case law and local ordinances. And they knew I could arrest anybody for anything. I could always find something. And they asked like, you know, what do I do? How can I do? I'm like, just start working. Like, just work. Like, you know, like if you have questions, ask me and I'll help you or anybody will help you, but just go out there and work. Just make car. Cause what I did when I started, I didn't know, traffic law so i had a lieutenant who was back in the day very proactive and he said go make car stops go figure out what you can stop people for and then suddenly things will start unfolding you'll start learning this job and once i did that 
because originally I just wanted a radar unit because that's what I thought cops did. They they ran radar. Yeah. I don't know. But then once I started stopping cars for not speeding and I was arresting people out of those cars, I was like, oh, well, this is cool. And then years later, when I finally got a radar unit, I was like, I don't need this. Like, I can stop cars for anything without this. And I barely ever used it. And I had a radar unit for yeah. several years. Yeah. And that that would be my advice to a lot of people. Just go work. Like, train but also work like don't if you're going to sit on the side of the road and watch cars then watch cars don't like all right i'm gonna scroll and i'm done like watch like actually work do your do your work a lot of the videos i show in my class are of me when i was a local cop and it was at you know you'll you'll it's all time stamps and you'll see the time 321 in the morning 347 in the morning 402 432 you know and i got the question it was like you know, do drug traffickers travel a lot more on midnight shifts than any other time during the day? And I, no, they're like, well, how can we only see your videos? And they're, it's between 2.30 and 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, because that's the only time I can go out there and do it, right? Yeah, we all know yeah. what day shift is like. Day shift is call after call after call, the volume of calls and the nonsense that we have to deal with. Proactive policing did not exist on day shift. Right. And on midnight shift, it was an eight hour shift. We started at 11 p.m. and went to 7 a.m. From 11 to 12.15, we had to sit inside and watch cops. That was like – that was an every you know midnight shift occurrence. We had to watch cops. You had to hang out. You had to walk across the street to 7-Eleven. You had to get your coffee. You had to get your protein bar, You know your bang energy, whatever. And then you had to watch cops until 12.15. You finally broke glass and then you had to do a couple part checks. And then by 2.30, the breakfast orders were in. Uh-huh. The rookie patrolman was out at the, at the diner and he had that – that breakfast back at headquarters <laughs> between two thirty and three o'clock. Everybody had to muster up in headquarters, eat your breakfast. You sh- you know, you, you shot the shit for a little bit for about 30, 45 minutes. And then it was, you know, off to do reports or, you know, watch some more TV and you hung out inside until six o'clock. Right. And then six o'clock you had to get back out in the street because the bosses were coming in and they, you know, they wanted you back on the street. I was never about that. Yeah, I was never yeah. about that. And it got to a point. Where <laughs> if you wanted where, to do that, you could have been a firefighter. Yes. And I said, and I said to my sergeants at the time, the bosses, the tour commanders, and I said, "Listen, I'm, I, I, I can't sleep. I just can't sleep on a midnight shift. As tired as I am, I just can't sleep. It's something in my head. Um, can I just please stay out on the road?" And they would tell me at the time, "Like, listen, there's only three of us. You know, yo, Joe Smith's got to write a police report, and I gotta, I gotta do my checks. You know, computer checks. I gotta do some other administrative work. So." Yeah, you can go out there, but don't make us come out there and chase after you. We had a policy. You had to back each other up on traffic stops. Every traffic stop took two officers, right? And so, yeah, you can go out there. Just just don't make any make any calls for service. You know, don't call out any traffic stops because we don't want to come out, you know, following, chasing you around. And so what it, what it allowed me to do was go out there. And it got me really good at just watching reactions. It allowed me some freedom to go out and sit on the highway. But I knew that I wasn't allowed to make a traffic stop. If I made a traffic stop and had somebody come chase after me, man, I knew I was going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I sat out there every waking moment I can get just to be able to really distinguish the difference between general motoring traffic travel versus, you know, driving behavior indicative of criminality. And watching this got me really good at rapid assessment because where I would sit on the highway at 100 feet to the next jurisdiction. So I had to recognize the car, rapidly assess the vehicle to look at all these criminal indicators, what to look for, identify a reason to stop the car, and then ultimately go after that car and stop it before it got to the next jurisdiction, 100 feet away, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it took – you had to accomplish all these things in a matter of seconds. And so simultaneously your brain's working, and it's muscle memory. 
it takes a really long time to get to that level. It really does. Um, and so it's kind of a blessing in disguise that it wasn't like, oh, yeah, go out there and stop all the cars that you can, because I probably would have done that. I probably would have went out there and just kept chasing after a car thinking, hey, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? Right, right. But instead, it, it, it forced me to sit there and just watch. And then that one day, November 1st, 2013, I saw this one car and I said, fuck it. This is worth getting suspended <laughs> for. This is work, worth doing a parking enforcement for the rest of my career. This is the one. I know it. And I went out and stopped it in a matter of seconds talking to the two occupants. I told myself, I said, this is it. This is 100% it. Everything that I learned in class, everything is here. Now it's just a matter of, you know, moving through the motions, getting my consent to search and ultimately taking my time doing this systematic search and finding that trap. And I finally got into the car on a consent search and I wanted to get on my phone so badly and text people and be like, oh my God, I know it's here. Where should I look? And I, I resisted all those urges. I put my phone down. I took a deep breath. I just said, you got this. Just go through it. And, and it's not, it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. We just have to rule out the anomaly here. I have to rule out the anomaly there. It's Take your time, pay attention to detail. And when I got to the trunk, I see two screws holding down this storage compartment in the rear floor. And I, I, I took off the two bolts. I lifted the storage compartment up and I see a false floor. I see a hinged door and I see it. I second guess myself. I'm like, I know this is a trap, but it, this is almost too good to be true. And I turned mm-hmm. to my partner to tell him, yo, we got a trap, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, be the, be the sheep that cried wolf. Right. So I was right, like, all right. Let me look again. And I'm like, no, that's definitely a trap. I went to went to talk to my partner and let him know we found a trap in a car, but the words weren't coming out because I'm like, what if I'm wrong? I had to look at it again. I'm like, this is 100% a trap. And eventually I told him he came over. We got into it. And it was a, one kilogram of cocaine. And I thought the the I thought the um, the war on drugs was over, to be honest. With you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. going to be it. This is over. I was like – and shit. I was so happy. I thought I was going to be my own anti-crime unit. I thought I was going <laughs> to go back to headquarters and there was going to be balloons waiting for me and they were going to have fucking, you know, all, all, like yeah, fucking Brad Gilmore Day in the city. Yeah. None of that happened. <laughs> None <laughs> of that happened. And if anyone ever expects that to happen for you, let me be the let me be the spoiler. It's never going to happen. Going to, you're no. Just after one arrest or one trap, you're not going to be your own anti-crime. You're not going to have fireworks. Um, and, and the chief's probably not going to love you unless you work for a super proactive agency. So, you know, but that's why we signed up for this, right? We, we signed up for this to chase the, the adrenaline rush. And ultimately, I mean, I, I took the oath to uphold the law and, and, and make a difference. It sounds so cliche, but I don't know. I had a lot of people die of over uh, overdoses. Mm-hmm. And I took it upon myself uh, to make myself a promise. I'm going to continue to fight for them and try to make a difference. And, you know, I'm probably not even a drop in the bucket, but I'm going to give everything that I got to, right. you know, try to intercept those drug traffickers as they're traveling through our roadways in hopes to save the next person. Yeah. And I, I know several people, the exact same thought process that you have. I mean, it's, it's difficult because the war on drugs is, I mean, it's, it's almost a lost cause. I mean, you know, the, everything, everything's working against us, but it takes one, right? It takes one person that doesn't overdose and that's a win. And you'll never know. You'll never know that that's the person that didn't overdose, like you said before, but to know that your time is not wasted sitting at the station, eating breakfast, watching TV, you know that you are actively going out there and doing the job, doing what you were signed up to do that, that you 
went through the academy, you did all the nonsense that was very important to you at the time that, you know, now we look at the academy and we roll our eyes, but you know, you did all that. Now, step-by-step you are taking the time to go do that for, like you said, you have personal reasons that this is important to you. And some people, they want to be uh, homicide detectives because that's important to them. You have people that, you know, maybe community relations is important to them for some other reason. And that's why they do, you know, maybe whatever. So, you know, you find your reason, you find your niche and you go for it. And that's what you're doing. And I think that there are so many cops out there that feel the exact same way. Yeah. You know, drugs are, are such a scourge to our society that, yeah. you know, we, we get, I know when I worked dope, I got so disgruntled, disgruntled and disgruntled, um, just upset. You know, I felt like all the work I was putting into to dope work was for nothing. I thought, you know, whatever, but I also at the same time saw eventual results. You know, you see the trap house no longer being a trap house. Like, you know, they, they, bulldoze it or they remodel it and there's new owners whatever so whatever level of the drug game you work you will eventually see some kind of result um yeah you know what that that's just my niche you know it's it, there's a lot of different paths you could take in sure. this career and I'm, t- I'm not telling you that my path is the only path you know like you said you could be you could have had a, a family member or a friend or an acquaintance associate die of a homicide and you decided that's what i want to do i want to be a homicide detective it doesn't matter one person one of my good friends told me this he goes whatever you do in life wake up and be intentional, be intentional. And, and that's, and and I try to make it a point to make every day intentional, whether it be with my, my family, uh, make, if I'm with them, I want the time to be intentional. I want to make it purposeful and meaningful. And the same goes for me at work. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm intentional at work. Um, and I know that by going to work and gaining experience, I'm also helping my secondary job and that's instructing and being able to talk to the masses and educate and motivate and inspire and, and, and everything that I do, I want to be intentional. So whatever path you decide to take in law enforcement for all the viewers and all the listeners, just be intentional. Um, I understand that this is a paycheck. It can be a good one. And there's, you know, sometimes it's not worth a risk and you think to your, yourself, you know, I'm not, I'm not risking my paycheck to go out there and being intentional because of everything that's coming down. I just watched my partner get jammed up. I watched this person get jammed up. If you know case law and if, if you're good at your job, you can be intentional and not have to fear repercussions, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah. It might be, you might be, you know, looked at as the black cloud or the black sheep. And, um, but I guarantee you this, as many haters as I had, as I was viewed as the black sheep, there was also that many people watching what I was doing and saying, man, that is exciting. That is exciting. The adrenaline rush on that case, the adrenaline rush of him opening up that trap and hearing that piston and the anxiety and the anticipation of wondering what's inside. And then it opens up and you see it loaded with kilos or guns or both and money. That is exciting. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to do that. That's what I want to do in my career. And I started to realize as many haters as I had, because I was being proactive, I also had that many followers. Yes, exactly. And, and, and people will flock to you if they see you doing the right thing. And if you're intentional with your work, if you're purposeful and meaningful, people will follow you. That is leadership. That's what Tom Rizzo talks about all the time. Yes. And you don't have to have stripes on your arm. You don't have to have bars on your collar or anything like that. You nope. can just be the next guy, you know, next man up. That's it. And, yep. you know, that's – that's not only leadership, but that's how you change the culture of your agency. If you start getting 
you start as one and then you start getting a couple under you that, you know, they're like, Oh, that's really cool. I want to start running with you. And then they get, then, you know, it just grows and grows and grows the ripple effect. And that's how you ultimately change the culture. Now, when we're talking like the giant agencies, the NYPDs, the Chicago's, it's not going to be that massive, but if you can change your precinct or, or, you know, your squad or whatever, eventually maybe it'll change the, the mindset of the people around you and just keep doing it. And that, like you said, that's, that's being a leader. That's yeah. a consistency and effort. Consistency and effort every single day is bound to be the genetic makeup of success. You, can, It's impossible. It's impossible to provide a consistency and effort and ultimately not end up successful in whatever you're doing, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, whether it, be, uh, whether it be you want to be an artist and every single day you draw a picture, it's inevitable that 365 days later, you're going to be better than the, the first picture you ever drew. And every hobby, profession, career, anything, consistency and effort, you're going to end up better and you're going to get successful. Yeah. Um, provide that consistency and effort. For those large cities that you're talking about, I'm going out and speaking in, I'm in uh, Sydney, Ohio on the 24th of this month, as well as... Um, where the, I'm in also Ohio again, February 22nd. So basically I'm, I'm kind of in these uh, suburban cities or suburban areas right outside of Dayton, Columbus and Cincinnati. Uh, unfortunately, I think COVID is hitting us pretty hard where the numbers aren't exactly what I expected. But what brings me to this point is we all know that the call volume in these cities are super high. You know, Patterson, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, Trenton, you know, we talk about cities like Dayton, Cincinnati, and Columbus. The call volume is, is tremendously high. We have a, a lot of shit going on in a small 8 to 12-hour shift, whatever we're working. However, learning traps, you don't have to go out there and make traffic stops necessarily to identify some of these hidden compartments. Some of these hidden compartments are obvious by driving past that car, mm-hmm. right? By seeing the certain modifications to the exhaust or the, or the muffler or the spare tire. We know that certain spare tires are supposed to be hidden from uh, in the undercarriage and not seen below the bumper. But if they decide to put a false floor and fix that false floor to the undercarriage and as a method of concealment, remount that spare tire, consequently, it's going to cause that spare tire to drop well below the bumper. Making some of these hidden compartments super obvious to the trained eye. So my point is, is that I've had the opportunity to drive around some of these inner cities in New Jersey. And almost every opportunity that I have when I drive around these inner cities uh, of New Jersey, I'm able to spot a trapped out car parked on the side of the roadway, unoccupied, and that trap is in plain view. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what happens is because it's outside of my jurisdiction, I'm able to hop underneath the car, confirm that it's trapped, take a picture of the van, take a picture of the license plate, and ultimately work this up. So for those inner city cops where you don't have the opportunity to go out there and be proactive, think about what simple education such as this can, can allow you to do. Yeah. You're driving to a call, you know, you're driving back to headquarters. Uh, you're, you're driving, you're a lost dog call, whatever, whatever you're dealing with, just paying attention to some of these modifications that, that I would teach you. You'd be able to spot a hidden compartment in plain view, be able to snap a picture of that license plate. You'll be able to send it to your narcotic squad, detective bureau. Who knows? Maybe just put it in the back of your mind and make a subsequent traffic stop on that down the road when you have some free time. Yeah. Who knows what you can unravel and uncover? So I just think that 
there's a lot of opportunity for those that may not have opportunity, right? For those people that work in these inner cities or are just shagging call after call after call, and it's difficult to go out there and do what you want to do. Some this type of knowledge can can really benefit you. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I I agree completely. Um, so we do have a couple uh, listener questions that I'm going to hit you with real quick. Let's see what we got. So the first one is. What is the weirdest non-contraband item that you found in a trap? <laughs> it's actually a rooster. A rooster? I found <laughs> yes. So I found this like you know those those windmills uh not I don't even know how to to, to it's the, not a windmill, the, the weather like, vane. The weather vane. Yeah, and it would be like a big metal rooster with yeah. like, you know, north and south on either end of that or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. So the north and south wasn't there, but this big weather main rooster, metal rooster, was inside this hidden compartment once. And there was nothing else in it. It was just like, I think it was like one or two cell phones and a rooster. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, so you got you to gotta keep in mind, like, the anticipation and excitement that goes into opening these hidden compartments, right? You find the trap and all, all of the indicators are there. The driver's nervous. The stories are not making any sense. They're coming from a source city. They're driving seven hours away to go to another source city. You're like, and you're building up this story in your mind. You're like, ah, they're going to pick up a load of drugs. This is going to be loaded with a million dollars cash. You start to get excited. You eventually find the wires. You cut the wires. You apply your power. You hear that piston operate and it's slowly lifting up. And you're like, all right, what's, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And then you see a rooster, you know? <laughs> and so fast forward uh, a couple a couple months, you know, maybe it was like six or seven months. Well, I soon found out that this rooster was symbolic of a particular drug trafficking organization. And if they, uh, if they made $30,000 a month in profit, they were able to, to represent and use a symbolic rooster as um, – you know, as their symbol, right? So they would ha- a lot of times wear a hat with a rooster on it or wear a shirt with a rooster on it. Or sometimes they would have these little pendants in the car with roosters on it. Well, I don't know. This person wanted to have a fucking rooster inside <laughs> his trap. So it w- that was the first of that scenario. But uh, yeah, so that was wow. probably the most most ironic thing I've ever found in a <laughs> That's crazy. I thought, I thought it was a live rooster. I, I was really confused. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> this next question, do you know about the song that Fetty made, Fetty Watt made about your wife. Uh, I'm assuming that's Trap Queen. And listen, Trap Queen will always be my anthem. Um, uh, Kenny Williams had stopped Fetty Watt on on a traffic stop not too long ago. Kenny Williams knows how Trap Queen is my anthem. I love that song. I play it in the car when I'm working. I play it on my videos. I love that song. It it pumps me up, hugs me up. And uh, I got to talk to Fetty Watt on FaceTime. And to be honest, we had, at, at, at the first glimpse, I had no idea who the hell he was. I thought yeah. it was maybe somebody Kenny had arrested him. Why you call me? You know? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then ultimately I realized that it was Fetty Wap. And now, you know, we see what happened to him since. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I love that song, man. It's, it's, it's a great song. Keeps, keeps me hyped up. That's awesome. Uh, Frank Castle wants to know, what's your arm routine? Frank Castle's my boy. He knows my arm routine. It's pulling away that igloo cooler in the casino. <laughs> I load I load the coolers up and just just pull them around the casino and That's get in it. trouble for it. <laughs> uh, we got someone asking. Speaking of the casino, uh, which room is the best room? 
What do you think, peeps? 506. I'm going to recommend. I swear to God, if I'm, I'm going to Nashville in 2023, I will be in room 506. <laughs> even if they don't, even if they don't have a room 506, I'll tell you're gonna them make number one. Room. You're gonna make one. I'll tell Dennis, read number of room 506, but that's where you can find me. Nice. And uh, then we got another one. Uh, what are the most important things to say on a canine deployment to cover your butt in court? Uh, I'm not a canine handler. I do not. Uh, I don't. You. Know, I don't write canine reports. I do have a canine assigned to my squad, and ultimately he writes a report. Um, as we were just discussing before, this might have been written for Kenny Williams since he is a canine handler. But certain things that I will write in my report are, uh, you know, decided to contact a canine unit uh, who responded to the scene. Canine officer John Smith and canine. Um, Kilo uh, performed an exterior air sniff or a free air sniff of the exterior of the vehicle and canine Kilo positively indicated to the vehicle for the presence of an odor of narcotics for the presence of an odor of narcotics. I don't get into specifics as to where that canine indicated, right? I don't say the canine indicated to the front bumper because we all know things that I can speak about is that we all know that, you know, the, the, the airflow, depending on the wind, depending on what might be open in the car, whether it's a window, a door's open, uh, that airflow could be different. So although indicating on the front bumper, that could be where the airflow is going. In all reality, the contraband's in the back bumper, in the trunk. Mm -hmm. um, so I just don't get into the specifics as to where the canine indicated, just that the canine positively alerted or indicated to the vehicle for the presence of an odor of narcotics. Nice. Now, um, I know you've kind of posted, I, I want to say it was today, <clears throat> about different case laws that you kind of work around or anything. Are there any specific case laws that you would say mm. officers need to like look into before they start working proactively? Yeah. So listen, we have, we have a couple case law gurus. Um, you know, if you're in New Jersey, obviously Dennis Benino and Matt Lloyd, um, and we, we, we are, are growing our case law network uh, by hiring some other instructors from different States. Uh, some some true experts in that field. Um, I know my case law. I don't want to give people case law for that are watching from different states. Some sure. of the case laws specific to traps that I that I focus on are, are State versus Nunez. Uh, State versus Nunez was a decision in New Jersey that talked about that particular officer's training education experience, and that particular officer saw um, a modification in a vehicle, which led him to believe that that modification was a hidden compartment. And, and so therefore, the totality of the circumstances, not just the observation of a trap, right, but the nervousness and maybe the discrepancies, inconsistent stories in, in a third party vehicle, whatever scenarios were there. But the totality of the circumstances combined with that trap in plain view and that officer's training education experience equaled probable cause. Mm -hmm. So we still operate on that. We have state versus wit here in New Jersey and with state versus Nunez, you know, seeing a trap in plain view, although traps are not illegal in the state of New Jersey, they are not illegal. So if we find an empty trap, essentially they're sent on their way. There's mm -hmm. no crime that we can charge them with, but the totality of the circumstances with our training education experience and the observation of that trap in plain view equals probable cause. So I don't need to call a canine to the scene to smell something in the car when I already have probable cause. So those are some of the uh, state specific case laws that I operate under, especially teaching hidden compartments. Um, so I think those are important ones, but I would start with some of the basics. Uh, and it, 
It is true. You do need to know how to walk before you can run, right? Sure. Although traps is is not, in my mind, is not hard. If you've never made a drug arrest in your life, we need to get there first. Yeah, sure. Right? You need to be able to articulate those things you said before about, right. you know, you need to have that training and experience, the big one experience to be able to refer to it in the, you know, in the future when, when you make the big arrest. And there's no number I can really put on that. I can't say you need, you guys need seven months on the job or you need two years on the job or you need a hundred narco arrests under your belt or you need, you know, there's really no number I, I need to put on that. But you need to, in this job, in every single call, you know, we are able to talk to people. And even when we go to domestic violences, in a domestic violence, right, or or a fight, you have to determine who the aggressor is. So even as a rookie rookie officer, you have to go there and speak to two people, look at the evidence on the scene, ask your questions to these two people, and figure out who the aggressor is and who the victim is. And how do you do that? By, you know, looking and observing the person's mannerisms, behavior, you know, the sto- analyzing the stories, analyzing the evidence on the scene. Well, essentially the same is for traffic stops too. That's my job is to analyze the behavior of the occupants to determine are they involved in criminal activity? What is that criminal activity? Um, so naturally, the natural progression of this job is that you're going to learn to set the behavior as we go. Um, you know, after you get a little bit of experience in. Um, then we can give you some extra tools and, and tips in order to bring you up to par with deceptive behavior as it relates to drug trafficking um, and criminality. Um, so I really can't put a number on it, but you definitely do need to learn how to, to walk before you can run. Absolutely. So some, of the, some of the classes that I recommend are just the basics. And Dennis talks about, Dennis has a great one and, and uh, you know, work your way up the chain and to get into the more you know, high level, sophisticated classes such as this hidden compartments. Yeah. I would say that for anybody who hasn't ventured into the realm of street cop yet, I would definitely start with Dennis. That's kind of like the intro course to everything that you're going to come across. Um, and then start, you know, picking, picking your way through everything. Because if you skip all the way ahead to yours or to Kenny's or, you know, one of the more advanced classes, you're going to go, huh? Because yeah. even even I mean, being in those classes after Dennis is, I'm like, huh? The case, case law is like watching paint dry, right? Yeah. But Dennis has a way about instructing and teaching and entertaining. I mean, he's he's just a comic. He's yeah. just he's freaking hilarious. Yeah. Um. So he makes it very interesting and fun for for everybody. Absolutely, I agree. Well, Brett, this was great, man. I really I appreciate your thoughts on police work and just must mustering through and just muscling through all the trials and tribulations that go with this job. I feel like it's so easy to get disheartened and just, you know, burnt out on all the bullshit that we deal with. And like you said, you got to block it out. You got to put your blinders on and just go and hearing it coming from you. And we said this before we press record, you know, the guys at street cop, everyone looks up to you guys, you know, for one reason or another, Kenny, you know, is one of the most humble guys I know. And if I tell him I look up to him, he gets all bashful and stuff and says, Oh, don't do it. I'm just a guy. But you guys, you, you are, you're just guys who, had tremendous success in your careers, and now you are imparting that knowledge onto new guys. Um, but because of your success, people look up to you. But to see that you've went through the exact same shit that everybody goes through, having administration telling you to stop doing what you want to do, and you know this is how we do things here, and blah, 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 blah. I really hope that the people listening were like, oh, like th- these guys who have made, had great success in their careers, had to deal with the same shit and you were able to get through it. And you know, I think I, I didn't always realize that. I always thought I was the only one out there dealing with this. I thought I just drew the, the short stick or the short straw. I thought I just was dealt a shitty hand and had some bad luck. 
Um, but you know what? I, I actually started to realize how prevalent it was when I started teaching with Street Cop. And I got the opportunity to go and teach in Texas. And so in the interdiction world, a lot of us interdiction officers think that Texas is filled with interdiction officers, mm -hmm. right? We think that everybody that works in Texas is pulling in kilos on a daily basis and every single person there works interdiction. And I was very, I was very nervous about going down there and teaching. I was like, who am I? I'm Brad Gilmore. Like I, mm -hmm. I work for a small town. You know, why do I get have to go to Texas and teach these guys that every single one of them knows interdiction? Like they should be teaching me. Um, and, and I was nervous about going. I had so much anxiety. And I finally got there and I, I opened up the, the class with telling my story. And on the first break, I probably had about 75% of the class come up to me and be like, oh, man, just last week I had this story. Just last, you know, I'm not even able to stop cars. I haven't been able to stop cars in the last three months. You know, like we've never hit kilos. Like we don't, we don't I've never seen a trap before. You know, we have all this bullshit and drama going on. And, and, and I walked away from that class with such, it's ironically, such a, a, a feeling of unity. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like, you know what, it's I'm not the only one. You know, whether you be from New Jersey or from Texas or California or Oklahoma, yeah, we all yeah. have the same battles and the same struggles. And it's it's funny because they're all the freaking same. They're all the right. same. And and you could be three thousand miles away from each other. We need to be so unified. We need to work together. We need to stick together as a profession because we all have the same obstacles. We all have the same struggles and hurdles. And it, I walked away from that class with a sense of peace, knowing that I wasn't the only one, knowing that there were so many other people struggling with the same bullshit in this career, but also really believing that we need to stick together. And and for you, creating the 10-8 memes and 10-8 entertainment, I mean, this is a way, a platform to keep us all uniform, unified. So if, if, if nobody's told you lately, you know, I commend you for doing what you've done, for having the following that you have. Uh, the support that you have from people, you bring laughter, um, which is contagious. Uh, laughter, it, 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 honestly, it gets rid of all the stress and anxiety and, and it, it gets us all level-headed headed again. I don't think you understand how important that is, but you understand, you know, we're, we're fighting the same fight. We're right. just kind of doing things differently, but we're fighting the same fight. We're on the same freaking team. Uh, I appreciate you more than more than I can ever explain. Uh, I've obviously been a huge supporter of, of yours for a very long time, sure. following you uh, for a very, a very long time. And, and uh, I'm very blessed to be here. I'm very blessed to tell my story, uh, humbled and, and thankful. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And that was something that I wasn't expecting when I started this page. I started the page literally just to have a place to put my memes that I was making anyway. And then I kept the page public and people from California were messaging me and around the country saying, Oh, we're literally dealing with the exact same stuff. And, you know, they're funny and everything, but some of the memes I, I think have a seriousness to it. I mean, you know, they're, they're part of our job. They're part of the stress of the job. And yeah, I, I think it's just the same way that when you tell your story at an interdiction class and people come up to you and say, you know, wow, I feel this way. That's how it was for me. I didn't think that someone in California, someone in New Jersey, wherever would have the same trials and tribulations throughout the job. I thought it was very, my agency only or, or me specific. So you're right. The whole, we're all fighting the same battle here. We're all trying to bring this unity and the sense of community within this community. Because I think for me, 
you know, we, we talk about thin blue line and the brotherhood and everything, but sometimes it doesn't feel like a brotherhood. It feels very spread out and, and mm-hmm. uh, contentious a lot. Um, yeah. But I feel like these kind of communities, the street cop groups, my page pages like ours, um, it brings that together. And I feel like there's, I've felt more unity at a street cop um, class or in the street cop group or on my page or whatever than I did the years beforehand working at my agency. Like I, I never felt that cohesiveness. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think what, what Dennis has got started and what has continued to grow and then and my page and so on, just tremendous. And I, I appreciate let, you. Let, let me ask you, when was your first meme ever created? Ever. Do you, I, do you, do you remember? The very first meme, I don't. I was in the police academy, so we're talking 2014. There was a guy in my academy. He was making memes, and I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like He was making memes <laughs> about the people in the academy. And I was like, oh, I want to start doing that. So he, got, he told me what app he was using, and I started making it. And then I just kept doing it through uh, the academy, through field training, yada, yada. And then I was making just – I would make like a meme, and I would send it to my buddies, and that was it. And I made one meme. Um, it's a Adam Sandler meme with the water boy. Uh, I, I just reposted it. Yes. Uh, a few days ago, I put, po- I sent it into like five person group chat. That was it. And then one day I'm scrolling Facebook and I see that meme and it's being shared by officer Baker, the big, the big, uh, police video guy. And I was like, yeah. and it had like thousands of likes on it. I'm like, what, what just happened here? And I was like, I got to start putting a, a watermark on it or something because I want some credit for this. And that's, that is literally how the page started is because wow. I wanted some credit for this one meme and it I got this I got discouraged instantly because I posted it thinking oh man people are going to find my page just because of this meme and it's going to and it didn't the first time I posted it it probably got like two likes or whatever but I mean <laughs> here we are two and a half years later and the page is still going And now look at you man Yeah I know I know So Brad this is great so now we're going to do something a little different usually we take a break we come back we play signal 3 which for me is uh, well, down here, it's a hit and run, and they're hit and run questions. I ask you something, you give me an answer. We can play that if you want, but I got something special. We got a special guest coming in, and we're going to okay. play Family Feud. Okay. We're going to play We're gonna play Police Officer Family Feud. So just hang out, everybody. We're going to take a quick break <laughs> while I get the guest up, and we're going to play some Family Feud. We'll be right back. All right. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life.
All right, we're back. It is time for Family Feud. And joining me, we've got obviously the Trap King himself. We got Brad Gilmore. And his nemesis today is his street cop <laughs> brother, the Red Ninja, Kenny Williams. What is going on? None. How are you guys? What up? Going good. My man. boy, the Red Ninja. <laughs> I figure who who best to go against Brad than We well, have the same haircut. That's true. I gotta I gotta work on the whole faux hawk thing. <laughs> this is Battle of the Faux Hawks, guys. So we are gonna do this. Uh so we got round one. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna read the first question. So what I did, these are all questions that were answered by 100 of my followers. So they're a mix of cops and everything, but they're geared towards cops. This is cop family feud. So when I ask you the first question, whoever raises their hands first will get to give me the first guess. Okay. So here we go. Ready for the first round of everybody. I asked, what is their favorite donut? Brad, go ahead. Boston cream. Boston cream is the top score. So that's 31. So we're going to continue with you. So Kenny, we'll, we'll get back to you if he strikes out. Sounds All right. Good. So that's the top score is the, is the Boston cream with 31 points. What is your next guess? Uh, glazed. All right. Do we have glazed? Five points for glazed. All right. All right. What is your next guess? I'm going to go with jelly donut. Jelly donut. Do we have jelly donut? Survey says seven points for jelly donuts. All right. <laughs> How many are on your board? Oh, oh I'm five? sorry. Yeah, we've got top nine on the board. Oh, okay. Top right. nine. Yeah, this is this is the big one. Oh, That's man. That's what she said. All right. <laughs> All right. Go for another one. All right. I'm going to go with us. Uh, Sprinkle donuts. Do we have sprinkle donut? <laughs> Survey says yes. We've got sprinkle donuts up yeah. there. I don't know nine donuts. It's it's gonna get tricky for you. So when he strikes out, Kenny, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have a time. It here. is gonna get tricky. All right, all right, Brad. What do you got next? Next, I'm gonna go with um, vanilla frosted. Do we have vanilla frosted? <laughs> No, we do not have vanilla frosted. All right, so you got one strike. Give me your next answer. Um, Chocolate covered. Do we have chocolate covered? Yes, we do. That's going to be 10 points for Kenny. For All Brad. Right. For Brad. Brad, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm tallying up the score here because I my, uh, my counter is kind of broken. Here. All right. Kenny definitely eats more donuts than me anyway. I don't even go to eat donuts. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I ate donuts. <laughs> all right donut guy. all right next one what do you got we've got we got number two number four number five um, number nine how about uh how about uh three two cinnamon one. do we have cinnamon no we do not have cinnamon on the board one more for you brad all right one more um uh, munchkins? Do we have munchkins? No, no munchkins. All right, so there you go. You've got 61 points. Kenny, now it comes down to you. For the steal, well, what what is a favorite donut? I'm going to go with Long John. Long John. Do we have Long John on the board? Nope, we do not have Long John. <laughs> Long right. John Silvers. <laughs> All right, so number one. <laughs> And round one, we've got 61 to zero. Let's show right. the rest of the ones on the board. For number number nine, what do we have? 
We have a curler donut. I would have never guessed that. No idea what that is. Number five, sour cream donut. And number two, oh, oh no, cream. number four, apple fritter. Uh, and the last one, number two, maple frosted. I would have never guessed any of those, but they actually make a <laughs> sour cream donut? They do. They do. It's Where? What state? <laughs> I know. I, the la- I mean, I've seen a couple down here, so really? I don't know if I've ever had one. Yeah. All right. Let's line up for round two, guys. You ready? All right. Round two. The question is, what is everybody's favorite cop show? Kenny was up first. Cops. Do we have cops? That is number two with 18. Brad, you can get the steal if you can name number one. Favorite cop show is... Three, two, one. Live TV. Nope. Didn't, not in time. All right. So we're going to go with Kenny. All right, Kenny, give me another one. Favorite cop show. The Shield. Do we have the shield up there? The survey says no. One strike. Live PD. <laughs> do we have live PD on the board? Survey says yes, we do. That's number six with eight points. All right. What else you got? First 48. First 48. Do we have first 48 on the board? No, we do not. Wow. Who's this uh, audience? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Now, now, to be fair, they were all in the polling, but they did not rank the top eight, which is what we have on the board. Okay. Hmm. All right. Last guess, Kenny. What do you got? I got nothing. I don't even... Fuck. I have no idea. Okay. All right. So, we've got Kenny going with 26 points. Brad, what is everybody's favorite cop show? I'm going to go with Law and Order. Law and Order. Is it on the board? Survey says... Uh, what? <laughs> All right, let, let's what? see what were the answers that we had on the board. Number eight, Bosch. Because Bosch, it's a it's a Amazon Prime show or something. Yeah. Number seven, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Number five, Reno Nine One One. Number four, Blue Bloods. Number three, The Wire. Oh, and number one, everyone's favorite cop show. Southland. Oh, oh, yeah. That was an awesome show. They discontinued yeah. after, yeah. what, like three seasons? Yep. The fuck is that about? Bring it back. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, well, yeah, I agree. All right, so now round three. As we go into round three, we've got Brad has 61 points. Kenny has 26 points. Now, this one is is uh, round three. Anything can happen here. So we have the top six answers on the board here. Here's the question. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. What is Cops Kryptonite? Kenny, go ahead. This is public. Um, <laughs> women. Do we have women on the board? We do. Number one answer: bad bunnies, <laughs> nurses, and dispatchers. That counts. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna go to Kenny. All right. So right now, Kenny is in the lead with sixty-two points. Oh. All right, Kenny. What is a cop's kryptonite? Alcohol. Alcohol. Do we have alcohol on the board? Survey says. Yes, we do with seven points. Okay, you got another one? What is a cop's kryptonite? Three, two, Mm. one. 
All right. That's your first strike. It's hard because we don't have a family to go down the line. So you, you get another <laughs> chance. <laughs> right. right. Now's when you, now's when you got to like nudge Aunt yeah. Susie. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to like superimpose uh, people going, good answer, good answer. Yeah. All right. What is a cop's kryptonite? Overtime jobs. Do we Ooh, have overtime jobs? That is good. But it is not on the list. So we've got two strikes two on you, strikes. Kenny. One more. You've got 69 points to Brad's 61. You know what Kenny's kryptonite is? Family feud. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, kryptonite. <laughs> um, Three, two. Fireman. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, it is not. Strike three, Kenny. All right. Brad has a chance to steal the game from you. He needs one answer to steal it. Otherwise, you're going to go to fast money, Kenny. All right. Here we go, Brad. You could get number five on the board, and you could still lose. So hopefully you get the right one. What is a cop's kryptonite? I have two answers. I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to choose this one. Tobacco, Copenhagen. Oh, fucking. Oh, what? Because <laughs> that, falls, that falls under addictions. So, uh. so, all right. So, Kenny wins. Kenny gets the win. Sixty-nine to sixty-one. Let's look at the rest of the answers on the board. Number five, low staffing and morale. Number four, complacency. Number three, organizational betrayal. And number two, politics. Okay, so those are everyone. So now we get Kenny for fast money. So here's what we're gonna do, Kenny. You've got thirty seconds. No, I'm sorry, you got twenty seconds. I'm gonna ask you five questions. Give me your answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a clock here. All right, so basically I'm going to ask you the questions and you give me your answer. Here we go. What is a favorite police car? Crown Vic. What is a favorite mid-shift gas station snack? Donuts. You're not a real cop until blank. You're going to pursue. What words or phrase are the most cancerous of police work? It's always done that way. And what is the best brand? I'll, I'll let you do it because I said some long words. What is the best brand of energy drink? Bang. Okay. All right, let's take a look at what the answers were. Okay. So we've got what is the favorite police car? You said Crown Vic. Survey says 41 points. Question was favorite mid shift gas station snack? You said donut. Survey says. Okay. Next question was you're not a real cop until blank. You said you get in a pursuit. Survey says, <laughs> next one, uh, what words or phrase is the most cancerous of law enforcement? You said, "Always, uh, it's always done this way. Survey says, number one answer was 77 points. Uh, and the last question was, best energy drink brand? You said, bang. Survey says, 18. Good job. So at the end of the fast money, we have, all right, so your end of game Total is 205. Now, because I'm a fair guy, Brad's going to get his chance at the fast money answers, but the big answers are off the board for most of them, but he could still get the win. So, again, you've got 205, Kenny, for the end of the game. Brad, you ready? 
All right. All right, let me start the timer. All right, here we go. What is the favorite police car? Chevy Impala. What is the go-to mid-shift gas station snack? Um, Snickers. You're not a real cop until this. You step in shit. What words or phrases are most cancerous of police work? Um, we don't do that. And what is the best brand of energy drink? Monster. All right. Let's see how you did. What is the favorite police car? I cringed when you said this answer. You said, you said Impala. Survey says. I think like one person. Well, I can't said, answer the same thing anymore, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Dodge Charger, maybe, but. Yeah, Charger had 15 votes on it. Oh. All right. Uh, favorite mid shift gas station snack? You said Snickers. Survey says seven points for that. What was right. the number one answer on that? Number one answer on that was an energy drink. What was number two? Number two was beef jerky. <laughs> number three was fruity candy. And then number four was granola or protein bars, followed by chocolate candy and nuts. Mm. And just for everyone wondering, uh, favorite police car, number one was the Crown Vic. Number two, there was a tie for the Explorer and the Tahoe. Uh, the next one was the Charger. And then the final two were the Caprice and the Expedition. All right. The number three, you're not a real cop until blank. And I knew shit was going to come up with this one when we were talking earlier. <laughs> so you said stepping in shit. Which is so there's actually like two there could be shit answers here. So I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> so survey says thirty points. No, yeah. 30, thirty-three points, which the answer that I wrote down was you deal with someone's bodily fluids that aren't yours. There you go. Number two answer for that is an IA complaint or discipline. Uh, number three, there's a tie for you deal with a bad decomp or code brown slash shit your pants. And the last one is a dark sense of humor. Number four, what words or phrases are the most cancerous of police work? You said we don't do that here. Survey says, uh, obviously we always done it this way, 77. But number two was saying the Q word. And number three was I'm here from admin and I'm here to help. Oh. <laughs> and number five, best energy drink brand. We've got, you said monster. Survey says... Monster was number or had 11 points on it and then rounding it up. So number one was Red Bull with 32 points. Hmm. Number two was bang. Number three was a tie with the bang, which is C4. That's a new one on the brand on the market. Yeah. Uh, then we've got rain monster and finished up with red line. Wow. I'm surprised monsters in the bottom end there. Yeah. So was I actually, wow. some guy said, if anyone answers monster, you should block them. So, uh. <laughs> I, I actually drink, I drink Bang. That's why you know Kenny stole mine. I didn't really know what to say. Right, right. Well, I thought Monster was going to top Red Bull. I mean, you see every every student in the class has a Monster. Right. right. I never see Red Bulls. No. Nope. That's like my. I'm desperate. Uh, energy drink. Which one, Red Bull? Yeah. 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 If I'm like in dire straits and I need like pure battery acid, that's what we'll go to. <laughs> um, all right, so Brad, you rounded out with 112. So. We've got 205 Kenny. Kenny is the winner. So, little bonus, in a few weeks I'll be having Tom Rizzo on the show, and you will face him for round two. 
Sounds good. And he doesn't know about it yet, so that'll be good. Um, thank you guys so much for humoring me with this, this silly little game. I appreciate it. Uh, both awesome. of you guys got a whole bunch of uh, classes and everything coming up, so I want to give you guys a chance to plug it and uh, and get people out there. So we'll start with our, our winner. Kenny, do you, uh, you have some classes to promote? Yeah, I'll be in uh, Lee County, North Carolina, uh, January 28th. In February, I will be in Kansas City, March, Jackson, Michigan, April, uh, I- Suic City, Iowa, um, May, Nashville, June, I'll be in PA and Westchester, New York, July, I'll be in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's all I got on the books now. <laughs> you got you got a home game in there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I actually have a Fort Wayne patch right there. Um, nice. <laughs> it's it's weird because it's literally the state. Their patch is the, the state. It's weird. Um, right. haven't seen that. All right. And then, uh, Brad, what do you have coming up? I'll be in uh, Sydney, Ohio, January 24th. Mainville, Ohio, February 22nd. So I'm really looking to get in front of some Columbus, Cincinnati, and Dayton cops in those two classes. I'll be in Warwick, Rhode Island on March 28th. Lee County, North Carolina, April 4th. So I expect Kenny to kill it there and build me up. <laughs> Absolutely. And if nobody shows up, I'll blame it on Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny's I'll be in Bergen. Ca- I'll be in Bergen County, New Jersey, a home field turf uh, on uh, April 22nd. And that's going to be a big one because it'll be uh, about five to eight trap cars. It's going to be all hands on. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, so you have like a lab set up. It's actually filling up pretty quickly already. And then I'll be in Fishers, Indiana on May 10th. Fishers, Indiana, May 10th. Kenny, how far is that from you? I think I Googled it. It was like three hours maybe? Yeah, two, yeah, two, two and a half hours. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I got to I, – I, I talked about you this, uh, I think, at one point. I'm going to just come up to Indiana. I think I just need to, like <laughs> – my summer vacation is going to be in Indiana. It's going to be the most random vacation I've ever taken in my life. The, the, the wife is going to go, Indiana? Trust me. Trust me. There's people up there. I swear. <laughs> Not just Amish. All right, guys. I really appreciate it. Brad, if anyone wants to get in contact with you on social media, how do they do it? You can reach out to my Instagram, Brad Gilmore SCT, which stands for obviously Street Cop Training. Brad Gilmore SCT on Instagram. Uh, Brad Gilmore on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn now, Brad Gilmore. Um, so pretty easy to find me. I would uh, I do put out a lot of systematic search videos, a lot of resourceful information on my on my social media. I try to coincide that uh, and collaborate with the Street Cop Training sites as well on IG and Facebook. Uh, but I do like to put some unique stuff out on uh, on my personal pages just to give somebody. Uh, the viewer just a little bit something extra very cool all right guys i appreciate it this was fun i hope you guys enjoyed it i had some fun and uh we'll talk to you guys real soon i had a lot of fun thank you very much for having me i appreciate it i'm humbled uh just again to reiterate you're doing a fantastic job um we all appreciate what you do you're the you're the true hero here thank you you very much buddy i appreciate it everyone listen stay tuned we'll be right back take care Yeah, I think I'm gonna leave I just had that one drink And we've all gotta be up early Boys, we ought to shut her down Just take it to the house For anybody starts getting crazy so I started walking across the floor Stay on, on, look at the time, y'all.
gentlemen, Brad Gilmore, Kenny Williams, Family Feud, and of course, just Trap King things, man. This was absolutely an amazing, amazing episode. Special thanks to Kenny for staying up late and playing Family Feud with us, and special thanks to Brad for just everything. Absolutely an amazing guy, and I can't wait to meet him in the very near future. And that completes our episode for today, guys. We're going to, I'm just going to put some last little bits of uh, thoughts out there. Like I said, I will be beginning 75 hard soon. Uh, I, I know that the whole thing with 75 hard is that you just start it. You don't prepare for it. You just start it. It's a little bit, I, I, I gotta, I gotta do a little prep work because my, my life is not, I will not be successful. I know I won't. And I think that that's okay. I think when you set yourself out for challenges like that um and you know hey i i'm gonna fail this it's okay to do a little prep work i think it is first off i did want to say erica's challenge uh from last week for me not to have caffeine after noon uh worked i did i i I had no issues with it there were days that i would wake up at like 11 o'clock if i stayed up late or whatever and uh i didn't touch it I just went cold turkey that day. No coffee, no caffeine, no sodas, no energy drinks. Uh, I actually haven't had an energy drink since that conversation that she yelled at me for drinking Red Bull. I haven't touched it. So I feel, I will tell you, I feel, I, when I when I was doing that, I, I've been drinking coffee. I try not to have any caffeine after like 6 p.m. But since I made that change, I, you know, I feel like I sleep better at night. I'm not as tossy-turny. And, um... Also, I noticed that I'm I'm a lot I feel a lot less bloated than when I was drinking like energy drinks and and soda later in the day. So that's just you know that kind of goes into what we've been talking about for the past few months. So that was that worked, and I, I didn't really give myself like a reward or anything for it. But when I was doing it, there was I had gone out for dinner with Frank Castle. He he came down and we um, I was gonna have an espresso martini. And I know, I know, classy bitch, right? But again, I didn't, I didn't want to break the rule, so I didn't. And and I think it was, it was great. So that I've been trying to drink a gallon of water a day, which I'm a little bit behind. Actually, I'm very much behind today. But you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to build into it, and then, and then we're gonna do it hard. And I just want to say, you know, Chris Williams in the clip we played, he talked about, you know, discipline's important, but motivation's important too. It's a balancing act, and I think that's something that you guys really need to keep in mind. The message I want to take away, you guys to take away is the title of today's episode, Never Give Up. That has been my family's mantra. My dad, when he passed away, had upwards of 15 strokes, uh, most of them massive, uh, probably more, honestly, but uh, never give up. That's what he said to us, and that has been my mantra ever since, and it was before, but he, he put it into those words, and you can think of like Galaxy Quest, never give up, never surrender, but never give up. I have it tattooed to my skin. If you ever buy any piece of my goons merch, it's it's on there. It says non moyare mai, which is Italian for never give up. And that's the thought process that I want you guys to take away with this episode is never give up. Keep pushing. If your discipline wanes, if your motivation wanes, just keep pushing. Continue to work until you get what you want. And I guarantee you, you will feel better for never giving up. And I'm going to give you guys a little uh, kind of reading recommendations. The reading recommendations are going to be, uh, and these are ones that I have either started or finished. So I'm re- I'm giving that from a sense of knowledge. There, there are plenty of great books out there that I just haven't gotten to yet. So they are out there and I will get to them and we will proceed from there. But 
The ones that I want to tell you, and I've told you about them before, is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, uh, Stillness is the Key, also by Ryan Holiday, How to Get Shit Done by Sean Whalen, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, which was on the little intro thing where I had all those motivational speakers talking. And there's a few others here and there that I may have started or read passages from. Uh, Tom Rizzo's Kapikaze is a great one because that's more law enforcement based, which we're going to have him on in, in probably next month. The Stoic Cop, which was the third episode I did. There's just so many, guys. So I hope you guys take a chance and look into all those, read those, uh, check out the podcast that I suggested earlier. And then you guys tell me. I want to know what are good things that you're reading? What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who inspires you guys? Listen, you guys don't call me, so, you know, it is what it is. I'll, I'll attach the phone number if you guys want to dial it in and call me. I want to know. I do because not only do I want my listeners to know, but I want to know because I can always get better and I can always improve myself. So, guys, please do that. Thank you again so much to Kenny and to Brad for hanging out with me. Mostly Brad. This is Brad's episode, but Kenny as well. He looks so freaking tired during that that family feud bit. So I, I appreciate him a lot. Both of them great guys and street cop. Again, thank you so much for the support. If you guys want a piece of merchandise, we have brand new stuff coming out. Uh, hopefully, if not with this episode, by... The next episode, I'd like to have some prototypes out so I can show you guys what is coming down the pipe for us uh, as as 108 Entertainment and the merchandise. We've got new t-shirts, new products, just brand new products, hopefully stuff that you didn't think that I would sell or whatever and stuff that you'd be interested in buying. Can't wait to show that. If you guys want to see what I have, I do have a lot of stuff still available. It's 10-8-memes, all spelled out, that ecwid.com. It is in my Instagram bio. You just go to the link tree and it's right there, merchandise. A lot of people message me and they go, I didn't know you had merchandise. Guys, I've had merchandise for almost as long as I've had the page. So please go check it out. Um, If you see something that is out of stock, the Chaser shirts, the Goon shirts, and I think we still have a couple NCIC and Chill shirts. You know, if you see something out of stock, let me know because a lot of it's coming back. We are doing reprints and I can't wait. We're doing some editing as well to some of them and, and making them just, just tightening up just a little bit. So check that out. There's also a bunch of other stuff in the link tree. I have my link to my Spotify where I have my music listed. I've got the obviously the link to the podcast and the merchandise. And I'm also technically a, a rep for Rep Sports. So if you click it, you'll go right to their energy drinks and you can buy it with my discount code. Also, I've got a discount code with TAC Mobility, which I'm going to add there. Uh, use TEN, the number 8. You're going to get 20% off your order. And I also have one for Thin Vine Wines. Uh, they're in the middle of kind of reshifting things with their company, but we'll get that back up as soon as uh, as they are back up. So that's the, that's the stuff. We've got great stuff. Uh, speaking of music, today's music was... Obviously, the theme to the 10A podcast written by my buddy Brian with Anthem Writer. That's a perfect example. If you want your own song for your own brand, your podcast, your videos, whatever it is you do, uh, you know, maybe you want to buy a song for their friend on for your friend on their birthday, whatever. Just go to Instagram at Anthem Writer Music and then uh, go to their website. And then if you enter the code 108 you'll get 25 or sorry, 20 percent off your order. And then we did Brad's theme song, Trap Queen. We ended the interview with Aw Naw by Chris Young. And we are going to finish it up with a cover of Olivia Rodrigo's song, Good For You, by the band R Last Night. I told you guys I was going to put her on uh, a few weeks ago, and I never got around to so I'm doing it now. So check us out next week where we've got Art Hutchin. 
and we are going to talk about crime prevention through environmental design. I know it sounds kind of wonky. I guarantee you it's absolutely amazing, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. So, all that being said, that concludes our show today. Check out the merch, check out the music, check out next week's episode, check out past week's episodes, and we will see you next week, guys, Thursday. As always, take care of each other, stay safe. 10-8, out. Make sure you subscribe to our channel for more covers like this. And also, check out our brand new song, Cold-Blooded. The music video is right around here. And if you like that cover of Olivia Rodrigo, you're going to like this song. Thanks again. We love you guys. See you soon.